Kev, I don't know about you, but I walked out to the car this morning and was like, this is kind of nice. Yeah, it feels pretty good outside. Did <laughs> it does. You, it, it was a little bit drizzly for me. Did you hit any? Yes, but I. But that's fine by me because it was not. I couldn't see my breath. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. You don't need, I think, multiple layers today heading out. But it sounds like it's going to get cool this weekend and next week. I don't think we're going to see seventy degrees like we're going to see today. Yeah. It's uh, and then uh, tomorrow you guys will be. Is anybody else coming in? What do you got going on tomorrow? Because I'm. Oh no, not t- tomorrow. I, was say, Thursday, I thought you're right? out Friday. Yeah, Friday. Sorry. And refresh us where you're heading. Well, I do a thing every year. My buddy Mike Byron, bingo card. Well, um, Mike's got multiple spaces in the bingo card. I, I think I told you this, but we we do a, a trip every year. This began in twenty. I gotta say sixteen. My years run together after a while, but uh, our friend Turhan passed away. He was an oncologist in Dallas, Texas, actually in Austin, passed away and he left his car to his dad. So Byron and I flew down to Texas to get the car and drive it back and had such a good time doing it. And of course, we're all super close to one another. So Byron and I do a road trip every year where we just randomly pick a city and fly to that city, rent a car, and then drive home and stop at random places and do all the side, you know, whatever. So we do it over the course of three days. Last year's, right before uh, I started working here, we did it. We flew to Cheyenne, Wyoming. Actually, we flew to Denver, drove to Cheyenne, and then drove back. Um, we've done it from Albuquerque, Cheyenne, Montreal, Philadelphia, uh, Austin, and then this year we're going to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Nice. So what makes you guys pick your locations? Great question. Uh, one year, um, we each wrote down two cities, put them in a cup, and then like on a sheet of paper, and then th- threw the cup outward, and the one that went the furthest, and that was was the one we picked, and that was Philadelphia. Uh, we did Albuquerque because I had been to, matter of fact, I'm wearing right now the New Mexico shirt I got. Um, I had been to 49 states. New Mexico was the, the only state I had never been to, so we picked Albuquerque so I could check New Mexico off the box. Um, Montreal, Byron picked. I'm not sure why it was great, though. Montreal is a super cool city. So you're staying at, you're going to be family of Brian Kelly this weekend? <laughs> <laughs> we are spending Thursday night, the way we always do it, Whatever city we start in, on Thursday night, we stay that night in that city, and we simply get a beer and get dinner, and then in the morning on Friday, we get up, and we are off and running. So, yeah, we will spend Thursday night uh, with family in Baton Rouge. There we go. It'll be Mark Dykton and myself then on Friday as we preview another busy weekend, not only football-wise, but basketball-wise. The Pacers preseason home opener is tonight, and by the way, good Wednesday Morning to you, Kevin Inquiry here. As Jake said, pretty nice start to this Wednesday, temperature-wise. A little bit overnight rain still lingering in the area, uh, but it'll be the Pacers and the, I think it's the Knicks tonight and the Rockets Friday, and that will conclude the four-game preseason slate here. And then a week from tonight, guys, it gets real. The Washington Wizards opening night for the Pacers in this new era. How much did you watch last night? It is odd, you know. The NBA, I lot, you know, last night San Antonio, for example, played. Romeo Langford had eleven for the Spurs. I think the Spurs are kind of in the same mode that the Pacers are. Oh, there, I think they're tanking even more. Yeah, yeah. in terms of a rebuild, right? Um, but how much did you watch last night, if at all, of Major League Boy, Baseball? Boy, I watched a lot of playoff baseball. It's <laughs> there's something about 
baseball in the month of October that getting to 27 outs would be like me trying to run a marathon. I'm thinking to myself, there's no chance I'm finishing this. There's yeah. no chance I'm getting to that 27th out. And watching, in particular, Seattle and Houston last night, I felt that way about the Mariners. The Braves and Phillies was a good game too, right? Well, in the ninth, when Olsen hits that three-run homer, I'm thinking to myself, oh boy, uh, this could be some tremendous drama, but the Phillies hold on for that one. They were the only road team to win yesterday. Just th- that moment in Houston, the three-run home run by um, Jordana Alvarez. Is, I mean, that's that's playoff baseball right there. And, you know, Seattle bringing in Robbie Ray and their starter and their Cy Young winner and you know, that will be scrutinized to the nth degree, and now the AL takes a day off, so now Seattle's got to sit on that for, you know, 48 hours before they get back out there. And uh, It would be fun to see Seattle win that series just because it's been so long, right? You know, I saw it. I think Aaron, yeah, Aaron tweeted at us before the show started, like, pitching to Alvarez with a base open made no sense to me. I, I <laughs> They would have had to have walked him. I, I think the runner, runners on first and second. If you walk him in that scenario, you push the tie and run to second, and you bring up Alex Bregman, who had just hit a home run in the previous inning. So I don't. I get Alvarez is you know right up there with Aaron Judge as a guy that you just do not want to pitch to in any sort of situation at that moment of the game. But gosh, that one. I mean, if you're Seattle, you're thinking we just got six runs off of Justin Verlander. You're going to go up 1-0. Luis Castillo's coming uh, out no tomorrow. Question. No question. You're thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, we're about to be in the ALCS and how quickly it can turn in trying to get that 27th out. Well, especially against a team like Houston and the Yankees would be in the same category of, I mean, you are waiting for it to like explode at any point. I saw there was a radio host, I think from Seattle, that caught all kinds of heat because he sent a tweet at the end of the eighth saying the Mariners are three outs from going up one game to nothing. And it feels to me like they are 30 outs away. Exactly. And, I, and, I, and I like he got criticized for it. And he's like, was I wrong? Was I wrong? You know, it's something that I really love about that Elam ending that they've adopted. They've used in the NBA all-star game. They use it with that summer TBT tournament, a uh, Nick Elam ball state prof who, has created the ending of a, of a target score. Now you, you you take the clock out. No longer a twelve minute fourth quarter, and you're just trying to bleed the clock. Milk it. Four corner offense. How can we stall? Right. Baseball. There's no time. You've got to get all twenty seven yeah. outs. And I feel like when playoff baseball rolls around, the heightened pressure, especially when you're playing away from home. You know, as soon as you throw one ball, that home crowd. If you're the visiting team and you throw a ball, that home crowd starts to get a little antsy. They start to let you know you definitely threw that ball. And clearly, Seattle made a move that you know they wouldn't do in the middle of July and bringing Robbie Ray out of the bullpen. And um, it backfired. A guy that's allowed a ton of home runs. And boy, that was a shot by Alvarez. What is your first... While we're on the topic of baseball, and good morning to you, by the way, on a Wednesday. My name is Jake Quarry. That is Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton running the board for us. It is Kevin and Query here on 93.5107.5 The Fan. Stephen Holder going to join us on this program this morning, talking about the Colts at ESPN.com. Jeremiah Johnson of the Pacers television broadcast at Bally Sports will join us as well. 
But sticking with baseball, Kevin, when you were a kid, this is a two-part question, but I think it's a fun one. Tell me the first playoff series that you remember watching as a kid or, you know, being invested in, and then also tell me the defining, like, playoff moment that you first recall, like your first major, like, oh, wow, playoff moment. Yeah, the playoff series would be just watching Atlanta on an annual basis. The David Justice, Bobby Cox managed teams, Glavin, Maddox, Smoltz, etc., I would say the playoff moment that I think of the most from childhood would be Luis Gonzalez up the middle. Would you be too young to recall the World Series, uh, the Earthquake World Series? Yeah, that was 89, right? Yes, yeah, so you'd yeah, have been was, like five and a half probably. No, you always think I'm like Oh, that's right, you were born in 89. I, I, was, I was born in 89. I would have. He been, always thinks you're about to celebrate your like 40th birthday. I know. Um, I don't know why. I, oh well, I do know why. I always think you were born in '83. My apologies. Uh, my brother was born in '84, so maybe he re- he recalls that. Um, so what did I miss? I missed earthquake. I missed Joe Carter. Again, Braves like mid '90s is what stands out to okay, me yeah. as the first one. Uh, you know, there was a great one in '91. I mean, you would be too young to remember that, but the Twins. Is that Jack Morris? Correct. The game seven that went the Twins and Braves. That was one to nothing. It's a pitching duel. Uh, for me, the first the first World Series that I recall was the Orioles and the Pirates. And the only reason I recall it is because it was Bucks versus Birds. And that was 79. I was in kindergarten. So I, it's not like I watched it really, but I remember that one taking place. But uh, I absolutely 100% vividly recall I became a Blue Jays fan. So the Blue Jays, Royals, 85 uh, ALCS which then kind of really got me watching the 85 World Series between the Royals and Cardinals. That was the Dan Dinkinger, George Orta call, which Cardinal fans will never forget. I used to completely troll Cardinal fans in St. Louis by telling them that George Orta was safe at first. Oh, it sounds like what you're doing now, <laughs> trolling Cardinals fans. <laughs> and, um, you know, the other one, I, obviously the 86 Bill Buckner play jumps out. One of the One of the most bizarre moments of my sports casting career was about 15 years ago I was at Pacers Media Day and Larry Bird is standing there and it was very informal so I said to Larry Bird I said when you were a player for the Celtics what was the the pecking order of hierarchy of Boston sports fans between the Bruins Celtics Red Sox and Patriots and he said, oh, it's definitely, he goes, we were winning championships, but it's a Red Sox town. Not surprising, right? And I said, okay. And Larry Bird says, you're not going to believe this. Now, this was in like 2003 when he's telling me this, Kevin, okay? Larry Bird, who like is on the Boston Mount Rushmore, right? No, without question. So Larry Bird says to me, you're not going to believe this. So what? he goes, you know, the Red Sox almost won the World Series when I was living in Boston. And I'm like, yeah. He goes, <laughs> I don't know if you're, he goes, this is unbelievable. I was at this party. He goes, I guess they hadn't won the World Series in like a long time. It was a big deal. And he goes, you know, we were just getting ready to start our season. And so somebody had a party for the World Series and the Red Sox were like, I think they were like supposed to win it. And he goes, I I went to the party. And as he's telling this story, Donnie Walsh is sitting there and he says, Donnie, have I ever told you a story? And Donnie Walsh says, what's that? So now the two of them are talking and myself and Dave first are just like witnessing this conversation. And Larry Bird says, ha. I was in Boston, and the Red Sox were supposed to win the World Series, and they hadn't won it in forever, and Donnie's like, okay. And Larry Bird says, and they, anyway, 
some guy for the other team like hits the ball and it goes down the first base line and like I think the the Red Sox just had to like get the out and they'd have won the World Series and he's like and you're not gonna believe this but like the ball went right through the guy's legs and and Donnie's like okay and he's like and and like the other team scored and like they didn't <laughs> win the game and and I think actually I think they still had another chance to come back and win another one and they came back in that one and they, and like. They are both retelling the story as if it happened the night before. Both of them were dead asleep. They had they couldn't recall any name. Yeah. And I'm I'm standing there and I'm like, yeah, it's Mookie Wilson, Bill Buckner, Ray Knight scores game right. six, the most famous play in Boston sports lore, and one of their heroes is recalling it like as if it was a vague seventh grade memory. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? There'll be a thirty for thirty on that at some point. It's like yeah. Peyton Manning recalling eight points in nine seconds. Correct. I mean, so the point being. I think we lose sight of how locked in athletes are on their particular sport during the time they're playing it and are almost oblivious to other stuff going on around them. Uh, the NL will take center stage today. That'll be game two for the Phillies and Braves. Again, Phillies up 1-0, Zach Wheeler versus Kyle Wright, and then the Dodgers, 5-3 winners last night over the Padres. A juicy pitching matchup in that one, You Darvish and Clayton Kershaw. That's tonight at 8:37 with the AL um, having the day off. Uh, Colts will get back to practice today. I have mentioned this several times, Jake. Um, the Colts had their first move to injured reserve in over a month yesterday. Saw that. And that does that surprise you, by the way? So Ashton Doolin suffered a foot injury on Thursday night against Denver. And just to reiterate for people, this was adopted a few years ago, but um, going to injured reserve does not end your season. We'll try to get some clarity on Doolin's situation later today but he does have to miss at least four games and then you can bring him back off injured reserve at some point um i when i saw the initial move i thought to myself well at least it's not quitty pay at least it's not Shaq leonard you know i feel like there those are a couple other injuries that potentially could have fallen in the injured reserve category um saying that you know Doolin is certainly a an important guy for you on fourth down i think he's a reliable Kind of fourth wide out. Frankly, I would have liked to have seen him out snap Paris Campbell a little bit more here in recent weeks. Um, I assume they'll bring Kiki Kuti up off the practice squad later in the week uh, to kind of fill that back end of your wide receiver role. They still have Mike Strawn on the 53-man roster. They could go Desmond Patman. Uh, but that was a move they made yesterday. And then you see the offensive line. I guess a little bit of social media drama yesterday. Did you see that? Ooh, I did not see this. <laughs> Those of us that weren't born in 1983, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, 1989 when you were born. Right? Yes, correct. Okay. September 18th, 1989. I'll, I, that's right, Kelly Mallon's birthday. Uh, okay, so what was the drama on Twitter? I assume. Yes. Yeah, so we've you know thrown out possible offensive line combinations for the Colts moving forward. I've thought for the last couple of weeks, like, what's up with Dennis Kelly? Purdue product. Over 50 starts in his NFL career. Started a playoff game for Green Bay last year. He was a, kind of a late addition to the Colts. Right before training season, camp. Right? Yeah, 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 right before training camp. Got hurt early in camp. Missed multiple weeks, probably almost a month. But has been back and has been healthy for over a month. And Zach Kiefer, who we'll have on tomorrow, tweets out, you know, one question, though. Why won't they play Dennis Kelly? You know, I mean... All of us have tweeted out something to the effect of like, hmm, I'm curious why the Colts, you know, have done this or haven't done this. And Dennis Kelly responds with a gif of, I literally don't know. 
Hmm. So Dennis Kelly with the same question that Zach Kiefer would have about his absence in the starting lineup and being passed over for other... Well, he might have a new offensive line coach before too long, right? Offensive tackle options. Are you referring to they might cut him after said tweet, or are you saying the Colts might... No, the Colts may make that change, right? Um, yeah, I, I have the same question that Dennis Kelly has. And again, that's more of a short-term fix. It's it, You know, he's primarily played on the right side in his NFL career, but he is like the only backup you have with actual starting experience and I I just felt like if you're going to make changes at tackle he would have been one of the guys you would have looked at Um, but I think they're sticking with Bernard Ryman at left tackle I think they're going to stick with him and and I understand why you would do that and part of me sits here on Wednesday Jake and thinks if you were going to throw that five-man unit out there last Thursday night without any practice in the back of your mind weren't you thinking we need to try this group for multiple weeks and try and build something? Or did it look so bad with some of those guys last Thursday night that you've got to make another change right away, even though they haven't had any practice time? So here's my kind of question. We are into October. Matter of fact, we're... we're by next week, we will officially be midway through the month of October. Training camp began when, Kevin? Uh, it was like July 26th, 7th, something like that. Okay. So technically speaking, we have turned the page on all of August, all of September, so t- so two months, and, and halfway through the third. We are more than a quarter of the way through the season. And we literally, and I'm glad we don't do this, although it does feel at times repetitive, not laborious, but certainly repetitive, and I'm sure it does for our listening audience at times. But we are sitting sitting here hammering the exact same show that we were in late July. What, what are the Colts going to do at offensive line? And do they have enough depth at wide receiver? Well, I, I thought we and knew it, the starting O-line. Wasn't it always going to be Pryor and Pinter as the favorites at those spots? But my point being... We were told repeatedly that we were the intellectual inferiors because we don't understand how to build a football team and there is depth and no concern in either room. And here we are. I'm not saying we told you so, but this entire city could say we told you so, right? Your mailman, your milkman, your person that cuts your hair the lady next door everybody was like do they have enough depth at offensive line or are they gambling here and do they have enough wide receivers and here we are right one thing i was confused by with bernard ryman and camp jake was this is a guy that's played offensive tackle for two years of his football career obviously the austria product austrian product we had him on earlier his football background is not very extensive And this is a guy that I felt like you would want to sprinkle in with that starting unit in camp, um, get him a taste of what it's like to face Yannick Ngakwe and not Ben Banigou every day. Um, And we really didn't see that. And that's where I look at it and think, last Thursday night, he was whistled for four penalties. I thought a few of them were um, 
a bit of a quick whistle. But now I think you're in the stage with Ryman of you've thrown him out there. You made that draft pick knowing you would have to be patient with him. Very coachable. I, I think when we had him on, you 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 feel that with him. You know, I I don't want this to sound like a negative stereotype, Jake, but I do think when you get a player that is from overseas playing the game of American football, they're probably going to be a little bit more coachable than maybe someone here that has been have the game of football thrown uh, shoved down their throat right, for right. you know that a dozen heard, years. That is going to have the mentality of I've heard everything at this exactly. point. Exactly. Yeah, you yeah. know, Ryman is a little bit more of the open book, and I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to grow and learn. And again, he was a tight end initially at Central Michigan, moved to offensive tackle. So that part of me thinks you stick with him, you try and grow. I, I believe you need to help him a little bit more than you did last week. Uh, but that is, of course the big storyline heading into a week when you face a defensive line that sacked Matt Ryan five times in week two and hit him 11 times. We should note the biggest difference from that first matchup in Jacksonville, I guess two things. One, the game is now at Lucas Oil Stadium, and in this matchup, the home home team has won the last 10 meetings. Two, Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce did not play in that game. They both will be in the lineup on Sunday. Uh, Dave sends me this. If the Colts lose on Sunday, many changes will be coming quickly. I, I, I'm i not saying Dave's wrong by any stretch, but it does feel like, haven't we said that now for like four straight weeks? Now, granted, they didn't lose all those games, but. Yeah, I, I do not. I don't expect that. I mean, if you got embarrassed in your own building, maybe, but I look at this as kind of a three-week, almost like a three-week season right here. Home to Jacksonville, at Tennessee, and then more from an emotional standpoint, hosting the Commanders and Carson Wentz to close out the month, um, anything short of 2-1 and one would be very disappointing. Uh, did I see that Ron Rivera apologized to Carson Wentz? He apolo- I think he apologized to the team, right? And and Carson? I, I, it's a poor guy. I know. In I, all I, honesty. It's kind of like, I thought they were just pretty candid comments, and I thought he provided some decent context around the answer. Is there a team bus in the NFL that has yet to drive over Carson Wentz? Maybe Jerry Jones, because he's thinking, <laughs> we want you to stay in the lineup That's when right. my Cowboys that, play you. That's Settle right. down just a little bit. Um, did you see the referee? Probably not. Uh, the referee for Sunday for the Colts? I did not. Uh, Jerome Boger, the oh, man no. who oh, no. threw the roughing the passer flag on one Tom Brady from Sunday. So Matt Ryan and Trevor Lawrence, any sort of touching against you in the pocket, you just fall down, right? Yeah, like it's a you, fetal position, tornado drill. Like it's an EPL match, just flop. Right. They got to come out with a spray to get you back up. <laughs> so they got something to keep an eye on. You heading to uh, Gainbridge tonight? Don't get too close, right? Um, I don't think I'm going to be there tonight. I, I've got math tutoring. No, they could do that on the Jumbotron at halftime. Yeah. <laughs> Is uh, it A, B, or C? <laughs> you don't trust me. You don't. Uh, they're timed quizzes. I don't have time to sit there and wait for the crowd to give you the answer. Uh, we can play some audio a little bit later in the show, but Big Ten Media Day for men's basketball was yesterday. I think we're starting to see the Kevin Warren commissioner influence on this. Did you see where the Big Ten Media Day was yesterday? The Warren Commission? Uh, From... no, no, no. Wow. Uh, little history tie-in, huh? Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren. 
Uh, Big Ten Basketball Media Day was in Minneapolis. Yep. The Kevin Warren ties. He's got history there. Uh, worked for the Vikings. I think we're starting to see some of some events that predominantly would be in Indianapolis being moved up there. The media poll came out, and Mike Woodson's Indiana Hoosiers, number one in the Big Ten for this coming season. I have heard from people that have gone down to see them practice that Indiana looks like they could be really good. Shooting is the only question mark. It sounds like an annual thought with Indiana's men's basketball team. But, yes, I've heard that they – They've got some good young players, and they look like they could be really, really good. The bullseye will certainly be on the back. A lot different from recent seasons when they finished ninth, 10th, 10th, and ninth in the Big Ten. That's each of the last four years. I think on paper, and again, it's probably foolish to say on October 12th, it does seem like a down year in the Big Ten. It's hard to say. I, you just never know. There, yeah. you know. There's so much turnover at the bo- at the young spot in rosters. You just never know how some players like, are going to respond. I think it was Michigan and I think Illinois, Jake, were maybe two and three on the Big Ten media poll. And outside of like Hunter Dickinson from Michigan, I barely knew anybody on either team. Correct. Now, part of this is like the land of college basketball, and it's transfer heaven right now. And both those teams have felt a lot of it. Um, and then Purdue-wise, I, I would love to see them just hand the ball to Braden Smith, the freshman from Westfield, and let him you know, be their point guard of the present and the future here for the next few years. So we'll chat more about that a little bit later in the show. As Jake said, Stephen Holder at 8 o'clock, Jeremiah Johnson at 9. Nice temperature to start this Wednesday morning. A little Beautiful. bit of a drizzle here. Kevin Aquari, 93.5, The fan. The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! 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 Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. All right, Jake, the divisional series yesterday got underway. The Phillies, the lone road team to get it done. They held on. They jumped all over the Braves early. And they um, hold off. They gave them a three-run homer in the ninth. They survived 7-6 to go up 1-0. Um, the Astros with a three-run homer in the bottom of the ninth. They beat my Mariners. I was crushing to see. Uh, 8-7, and then the nightcap. Yankees score four in a row. They beat the Guardians 4-1, and the Dodgers. Dodgers. Jeez. That that act, that series is the Dodgers. That's, that's a tough start to this Wednesday morning. Dodgers, Dodgers is what happens when yeah. the two fan bases fight each other. <laughs> right. Kevin, let me tell you something. Exactly. Yesterday I said something about making sure that you're if you have sore nips. Mm-hmm. So we're good. Right. I mean, you know what I mean? Like like we're good at this point. Yeah. Five three over the Padres. If you've got problems with your nip, uh, <laughs> thanks, Mark. Thank you. Yeah. I'm uh, saying I have that one handy if you need it. But, uh, thanks. <laughs> By the way, college football this weekend, it is Maryland at Indiana. That's a 3.30 kick. These are these are all out of order in terms of the time, so bear with me. a double-digit spread, Maryland favored? Gosh, at Indiana? Do you think of Maryland as being, like, really that stout? I, I, I don't know. I think of Maryland as being, like, about what we think Indiana should be, right? It's all the crab kicks in football. Uh, that's what Maryland that's does. It. Nebraska at Purdue, 7.30. It is Stanford at Notre Dame. That's also a 7.30 start. UConn at Ball State, 2 o'clock on Saturday. Indiana State at Youngstown State, a 2 o'clock start. Also at 2. Indy at Saginaw Valley and Marion at St. Francis. That game is at noon. Indiana still 11 point uh, underdogs. Wow. And 11 Purdue, and a half Purdue's nearly underdogs. two touchdown favorite. Purdue is, yeah, 13 and a half. 
Uh, tonight, it'll be the preseason home opener for the Pacers. So for those that haven't seen some of the renovations over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, you can head over there, 7 o'clock tip with the Knicks. And it's the first Bally Sports broadcast of the year. We'll have Jeremiah Johnson on at 9 o'clock to talk more about that. When's the last time you said Knickerbockers? Have you ever said Knickerbockers? Yeah, there's a guy that works for the Colts with that last name. Well, aside from that, when discussing the basketball team, have you ever said the yes, New I York have. Knickerbockers? Yeah. yeah, I feel like my dad said that, and it just kind of got instilled into really? me at some point. Okay. Uh, Colts back to practice today. They'll practice today, tomorrow, and Friday as they get ready for Jacksonville on Sunday, a two-point favorite, Indianapolis. In that one, earlier we heard um, some offensive coordinator audio, Marcus Brady on rookie Bernard Ryman and his performance uh, in his starting debut. I mean, that was a tough matchup for him all game. You know, that's a very good defense, very good pass rush. Um, And he was thrown in the fire, but I I thought he battled and competed. And you saw some good things there that he could build off. Um, Did he get beat? Yes. Um, But we kind of knew that was going to be an issue. We try to, you know, if we, when we can try to help him um, when we could. Um, but he's only going to get better. We, you know, we like where he's at. Um, we, we think that he's going to continue to grow just with more reps here. I'm Bernard Ryman, <laughs> and I'll be back. <laughs> that was well done, Mark. Tremendous. Thank you. I, I think he's back in the starting lineup on Sunday. You know, the, the challenge, I think, there with any young player, this is particularly true at quarterback, But I think it probably, if there's another area of the field that it would be the most applicable, it would be on the line. You only have so many times for a guy to get beat before you've completely broken him. Which this gets to the earlier point, Jake. I think he's so young in his football career, he's not as broken as other guys would be. He's not this five-star IMG Academy recruit. Yeah, that's fair. Played at Ohio State for three years, got beat several times in the Big Ten, et cetera, et cetera. This is a guy that if you were going to put him on the, uh, you know, football life expectancy, quote unquote, he's still really young. Yeah, that's fair. So I I think that's where they were part of the reason why they're attracted to Ryman. Um, But again, outside of him, uh, they've got some questions on that offensive line and some injuries that we will explain. They did make an offensive tackle move yesterday roster wise. We'll touch on that when we come back. Stephen Holder at eight o'clock. And as we said, Jeremiah Johnson at nine. Kevin Aquari here on a Wednesday. 16 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock on a really nice looking, admittedly going to be overcast today and a little bit drizzly, but at least it is warm outside Wednesday in Indianapolis. Good morning to you, Jake Query, Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton. It is Kevin and Query here on 93.5107.5 The Fan. Hope you are set for a spectacular day today. Colts trying to get themselves set for a big one on Sunday with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jacksonville kind of coming limping in, Kevin, but... Uh, the reality is that front four defensively for Jacksonville it feels to me like that really kind of sets the tone of the game. Boy, and it set the tone in this matchup. You know, in recent years, mentioned earlier, five sacks, eleven hits against Matt Ryan in Week Two. Um, you know, Carson Wentz was under siege for much of that season finale down there. But it has been different when you've played them at home, and I think that is a little bit of the saving grace. And again, you're going to have Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce. Not having them in Week Two, I thought was huge. Um, they loaded the box. They stuffed Jonathan Taylor. The biggest contribution you got from Paris Campbell all game long was an offensive pass interference penalty in the fourth quarter. So I think having Pittman and what Pierce has done since his return should alleviate, I think, some of how Jacksonville can just suffocate Taylor in that run game. The other thing, Jake, in this matchup, 
your guy, Trevor Lawrence, he has got to be salivating seeing the Colts on the schedule. Because he has been a below-average NFL quarterback against every team not named the Colts. But against Indianapolis, whether it was Ibraflus and that defense to end last season, or whether it was back in Week 2 against Gus Bradley, just absolutely dominated in both of those games. That early drive, settling into it, he's had perfect opening drives in both of those Jacksonville wins, and I think it's totally set the tone and just given him a jolt of confidence that, frankly, he needs. How about these numbers? Trevor Lawrence in four games this season against teams not named the Colts. 58%, six touchdowns and four interceptions, a passer rating of 82. Pretty pedestrian. Against the Colts, 83% completion percentage, two TDs, no picks, and a passer rating, I believe it's career high, of 121. Here's the thing about Lawrence. You're begging Frank Reich to make this abundantly clear to Gus Bradley. What happened to start week two cannot, 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 cannot happen again. The We were sitting in the press box during the Colts-Titans game. I think Jacksonville got up 14-0 on the Eagles, if I'm not mistaken. And Brendan King said, oh, man, Jacksonville's up 14-0. And I said to Brendan King and JMV, they were sitting to my right. Uh, Chuki Bakori sits down to my left. And I said, guys, I'm telling you, I watched Trevor Lawrence every snap of his college career I read about him in his high school career coming into college, all the expectation. He basically was an Arch Manning-level recruit when he came into college. Um, and I said, I'm telling you, as soon as it clicks for him, it's going to be tough for everybody because he is a Peyton Manning-level talent. Now, I realize I, I'm starting to look like a fool in saying that. Maybe he is just an average NFL quarterback or below average, to your point, Kevin. But I really felt like once Jacksonville had won that game against Indianapolis this year, that maybe that was what turned the corner for him. Because in year two for Peyton Manning is when it it turned the corner, right? It hasn't happened yet. But what he does and does well and did really well in college, there are two things that Trevor Lawrence could do really well. The first was, and I think Jacksonville maybe hasn't utilized this enough, and I understand that you really can't do it in the NFL – but in college, a big part of his game was being able to keep defenses honest by at times pulling the ball down and running with it or throwing against his body on rollouts. And in terms of throwing against his body in rollouts, he was able to do that and has been able to do that against the Colts. And that jump starts what he does in a game. And I, it seems like the Colts defensive line has not had the lateral quickness necessary to be able to limit that and that's where everything starts for him and other teams have been able to corral that and the Colts have not and that's where he gets going if you think about the plays he's made against the Colts defense he gets into rhythm with those rollouts and throwing across his body I think those opening drives Jake the Colts have hoped Lawrence would make the mistake and not tried to kind of dictate him into making that mistake and I feel like that's a dangerous game to play. That's a good way of saying it, yeah. You know, you're kind of waiting for your opponent. You're like, hey, you know, this guy's pretty inconsistent. He struggled. Let's just make sure that we keep everything in front of us, and he'll eventually make that mistake. The problem is he hasn't made it on the opening drive in either of these last two games. I think it was 8-for-8 eight eight in the season finale last year in Jacksonville. I think it was 7-for-7 seven seven back in week two. And all of a sudden, those opening drive touchdowns, 
again, I think it's a jolt of confidence for him. And now, to your point, Jake, when he gets out of the pocket later in games, I think back to this first and 20 throw he had to Christian Kirk in the Week 2 game just across his body, rolling to his left. You know, that throw I don't think happens without what he did on that opening drive and giving him some belief of what that afternoon is going to be all about. It'll be Andrew Catalan and James Lofton, but no Michael Grady, right? Mark Dykton? That is confirmed from Michael Grady himself. Okay. There was a press release sent out that Michael Grady would be on the sidelines, but I think it's the uh, PGA Tour. Um, do they call her the sideline reporter? Would they call her the gallery reporter? Sideline. Oh, in golf? Yeah. Amanda Balionis. Amanda mm-hmm. Renner, I think, is her name. Marriage. By the way, if they both were wearing their black helmets, just the 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 standard all black helmets with the the logo on it. Do you think the Jaguars or the Cardinals are cooler? Did you see the Cardinals black helmets they wore on Sunday? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, I did like those, but I don't like Kyler Murray, so I can't go there. You don't like him? Ah, he just rubs me the wrong way. I think that's you and Cliff King King Kingsbury don't like him. I think you both are I would agree. pod there. Yeah. Cliff and I don't have a lot alike. Certainly we don't look alike. Cliff Kingsbury's updating his resume, right? Yes, he is the most likely NFL coach to be fired next. Can you imagine, like, would you, here's the thing, would you put that on your resume? Most likely to be fired 2022. (laughs) Because you've got to be, like, a prominent figure in order to, you know, in other words, like, nobody's talking about how, like, whoever's in Jacksonville. Like, was Urban Meyer ever discussed as, like, most likely to be fired? It's just an automatic, right? Yeah, okay, no. whatever. You got to be in a prominent position. Part or, of why you got to go to a prominent bar. What's that? Or you got to go to a prominent well, that's bar true. and then you rise up the... But part of why you be you get put on that list is because you're in a franchise where there's big expectation. And in Arizona, there was big expectation. Is last Cliff's, year, they were last undefeated team. Is it Kingsbury's fault that Kyler Murray is... Addicted to video games like Quinn Pitcock. Boy, they're in trouble. New Call of Duty comes out in a couple weeks. <laughs> Double XP weekend. Isn't that? Didn't done. somebody like go back and look at all of his stats and figure out that when Call of Duty comes out, Kyler Murray's it's stats when, dip? It's when there's double XP weekends, which means you get double experience points. Oh, my gosh. That's point. awesome that yeah. someone looked that up. Yeah. That his production drops drastically. <laughs> Sean Pretty points wild. out Trevor Lawrence really good against the Chargers earlier this year. Yes, he was. But, uh, again, you look at the full sample size of his, what, 20-some game NFL career at this point. Um, he's been a pretty average QB. They're starting to get Travis Etienne a little bit more yeah. involved. He's big. Um, and relying on their running game. I think that'll probably help in that regard, but I I don't think that's of concern this weekend per se. One offensive line note from yesterday, you don't see very often Chris Ballard make signings that Ryan Grigson also made, but you did see that yesterday. I forgot this dude was even playing in the NFL. 36-year-old Ty Inseki. Mm-hmm. Yep. Offensive tackle signed to the practice squad. 17 career starts. 93 career games played. And again, signed to the practice squad, but with the new practice squad rules implemented here a couple years ago, these guys can get called uh, up on game day. School the, for Ty Inseki? Boy, see, I remember. I'm going to go TCU. Do you know? I'll never forget Grigson being like, dude. This guy, Arena Football League, but trust me, he's got a body on him. The next Jarrell Freeman type of signing. Uh, I Boy, I have no idea. TCU for me, mark your guess. Has a little bit of a... Go Oregon State. 
Okay, not bad. It has a little bit of a Boise State Now, is State this feel. one of those TCUs that you've looked up before the show? Yeah, and now I you're acting like want to guess. Who would have known? Air. Give me Kansas State, I guess. Oh, that was mine yesterday that, yeah. that hit. Well, I took TCU the other day, so. Did you, Do you have it, Mark? Uh, no, I don't. Okay, hold on. Can I, can I redo then and go with Utah State? Is that only because you heard of Utah State? No, because we you said that you mentioned or you mentioned TCU. Ty, how do you spell his last name? N S E K H E. Okay, you had on. to have looked this up again. No, I did not. Hold on, I'm looking Texas it up right State. now. Texas State. Yeah, see, then if I looked it up, I probably would have said Texas State. Well, you can't be too obvious. You got to yeah. be a little subtle. You can't get it right every. Here's time. his resume: Corpus Christi Sharks, Dallas Vigilantes, Philadelphia Soul, San Antonio Talent. Do the chickens have large talents? The Colts, <laughs> the Rams, the Saints, Montreal Alouettes, Washington Football Team, Los Angeles Kiss. Second stint with the Washington Football Team, Buffalo Bills, Dallas Cowboys, Colts. Wow. Okay. Again, 36 years old. Um, I would say the difference with him and Dennis Kelly, because some people will be like, "Wait, don't you already have Dennis Kelly?" Inseki's a guy that has a little bit more left tackle history, whereas Dennis Kelly's a little bit more of a right tackle. I know we're kind of grasping at straws, but just trying to give some background and explanation on why that move would be made. Again, signed to the practice squad yesterday. All right, Stephen Holder, he's going to join us next here. Kevin Aquari. Eight o'clock hour underway. Kevin Aquari here on a Wednesday morning. Good morning to you. Stephen Holder joining us on the Payless Liquors guest line to talk about Colts and Jaguars, among other things. You can read Stephen's work at ESPN.com. He, of course, covering not only the Colts, but the entire NFL. Stephen, I'm going to parlay off of what Kevin and I were just talking about by asking you this. Uh, Against the Colts, Trevor Lawrence, for the most part, has looked like a guy that's the number one overall pick in the league. Against everybody else, he looks like a guy that is extremely pedestrian. What is the difference in terms of the way the Colts are trying to play him versus others that has allowed him to flourish within the division? Well, you know, I actually don't think there's necessarily a lot of carryover because you know, they played him, what, three times, I guess? And two of those times they played in a completely different defensive system, <laughs> which was last year. And this year they, they're in a different system with Gus Bradley. So I don't even think that strategically there's a lot of carryover. I, I just think they have allowed him to, to operate comfortably, you know, from the pocket. And, and particularly in this, this year's earlier game, you know, he, he was comfortable uh, making the, the quicker throws and not under a lot of duress. And I just think when a quarterback can operate comfortably, they operate at a higher level. I mean, look at Matt Ryan. He's a great example of that. When, when he can't operate comfortably, he turns into mush, right? That's what he is at times right now. So I really think it's that simple. I really do. And there may be some other specific um, you know, characteristics that, that we can find between the games um, in terms of strategy. But but I think that's the biggest thing, you know, particularly with young quarterbacks, right? You're talking about confidence. Trevor Lawrence is a good player. And if you allow him to, him to, to do the things that, that he does well, he's going to, you know, he's going to hurt you. And I think the Colts have been evidence of that. From ESPN.com, he is Stephen Holder with us every Wednesday here on Kevin and Query. Stephen, it seems to be, and I, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but with your recent line of questioning, you are working on some sort of Matt Ryan turnover 
story. Um, 11 fumbles, seven interceptions through the first five weeks. Part of me says Colts fans should be optimistic about Ryan turning that around. Like, he has no track record of this alarming numbers, fumbles or interception-wise, in his career. Um, It seems to be just kind of like, you know, rookie quarterback sort of mistakes. And at some point, it's like, wait, a 15-year vet can't keep on doing that. But then the other part of me is like, wait a minute. Is this a 37-year-old QB whose physical gifts are starting to wane and he's simply reacting to so much breaking down around him? I go back and forth, like, by the hour. (laughs) I can't decide either. So here's what I would say. I, I think that there is reason to, to take the, the first position, right, that this is a temporary thing, uh, that he'll come out of this. I've been saying that for five weeks, though, and I keep wondering, okay, at what point is that going to demonstrate itself as being true? I don't know. You know, you would think at some point you would start to see some indication that that is the case. We have not. And that is what is – I think discomforting about this. Now, at the same time, the offensive line play hasn't improved drastically either. So, so the conditions under which he has struggled with the ball security, they have, they have carried on. They have persisted, right? So I don't know if the conditions change. Maybe his performance changes. You know, that's the part we can't say. Uh, but at some point, I, I do think, and this is what I was getting at with Marcus Brady yesterday, the offensive coordinator, you know, is, is there is there something fundamental here in Matt Ryan that you can address? Maybe not fix. I mean, the guy's 37, right? What are you going to fix at 37? But but just for the moment, you know, maybe create a heightened awareness of something he may be doing. And he did seem to indicate that he, he needs to keep two hands on the ball. And maybe that is something that Matt Ryan has not consistently done. So I'll be watching for that here in the coming weeks. Stephen, what's interesting to me, and I, I want you to – to add in on this or, or simply tell me I'm wrong, okay, if I am. What's interesting to me I is – I happily tell you you're wrong. By, <laughs> yeah. that will no, be by a all means, right? Stephen. We've Thank done you. this a few times, Stephen, right? <laughs> um, listen, when you know Matt Ryan became available to the Colts because the Falcons publicly flirted with Deshaun Watson and Matt Ryan found out about it and then you thought, oh, boy, now we got to do something here. We're in a unique situation. And at the time, I thought that was strictly about Atlanta being intrigued by a young player in Deshaun Watson that has a lot of upside. And I thought really that Matt Ryan was a casual, innocent victim in all of that. And now I'm wondering if, in fact, that overture was not as much about Matt Ryan as it was Deshaun Watson. Am I wrong? No, that's, that's fair. That is fair. No, unfortunately, I can't tell you you're wrong because I would have taken great pleasure. Um, well, thank but, you. <laughs> but here, here's what I'd say. I think, yes, at some point, the, the Falcons aren't stupid. They knew they were going to have to hit the reset button at some point. I mean, the, the Colts cut Peyton Manning, right? Uh, different circumstances, completely different circumstances, let me be clear. But I'm just saying, you know, there are situations that require a reboot at times. And while the Falcons didn't have a, a number one overall pick in the draft waiting in the wings like the Colts did with Andrew Luck. So the situation is completely different. Uh, They they knew at some point they were going to have to reboot that quarterback. I mean, he's 37. They are a a little bit of, they're they're in a rebuilding phase, honestly. I mean, that's that's where they are. They're probably outperforming, you know, their expectations a little bit just in terms of how they're playing. 
maybe not their record, but how they're playing. But but yeah, they're they're kind of rebuilding, so they knew that, uh, and, and I think that was that was understood going into that whole flirtation with Deshaun Watson. Now, I do think, just in my reporting, that that the Deshaun Watson, the, the specific uh, interest in Deshaun Watson, and given all the controversy about Deshaun Watson, it pissed off Matt Ryan, and he'll never say it. He will never ever 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 say it. But I think he took great offense to that. Now, that has nothing to do with your question, per se. But, but I do think that sort of escalated things a little bit. And, but at the same time, look, I mean, the, the Falcons were very accommodating. <laughs> and they were like, hey, if you want out, we're fine with that. So I think that does tell you something. It tells you they were ready to move on. Whether they were ready to move on or at least prepared to move on, maybe it, it's partly because of, of where he is in his performance and his age and so forth. And also just their, their need to turn the page. It's a little bit of both, but you're not wrong. It wasn't completely just a matter of, okay, Matt Ryan's angry. He doesn't like us anymore. Let's, let's let him have a way out. It, it was more complicated than that. Steven Shifton gears, the O line. Um, how surprised are you that it's both the run blocking and the pass blocking? Like they're 29th in yards per carry. Yeah, they're 29th in sacks allowed. You know, sometimes you see offensive lines; it's one thing or the other. I thought last year the O line was a pretty good run blocking unit. Pass blocking had some issues. How surprised are you that it's a little, really a little bit of both? A lot of yeah, both, frankly. It, it's my it's my biggest surprise because I thought the the pass blocking started to erode last year. So I'm I'm surprised it's as bad as it is. Don't get me wrong; it's it's god awful. It's offensive. <laughs> okay, but at the same time. I saw some slippage last year. And, and I think part of that was we saw the left tackle issue last year. It was an issue last year. It's been an issue this year. Uh, I think those, but those three key spots I'm talking about Quentin Nelson, Braden Smith and, and, and Ryan Kelly, they were relatively consistent. Uh, although Quentin was hurt most of the year, had his worst season, but even, even by, even considering all of that, I thought Quentin Nelson was was certainly um, good enough, right? Braden Smith, when he was hurt, he really struggled. When he was healthy, he played fine. Ryan Kelly was in and out of the lineup. You know the story there. But he was okay. Uh, I, I think the the slippage of those three guys has been stunning to me. Um, but I think specifically to your question – the, the, the most stunning thing has been just the slippage in the run blocking because the one thing these guys could do and the one thing they always enjoyed doing, these are the, these are the run the damn ball guys, right? Okay, the guys who, who wore the hats proudly and, and wore that physical play on their sleeves, that demeanor. They created that. They, they, they created the demeanor of this team for three years. These are the guys who now can't run block. And that's, that's like shocking. That is shocking. That being said, here's the silver lining, and it ain't much. <laughs> I think we saw the best rushing performance since week one on Thursday night against Denver. I know it wasn't the prettiest. I understand that. But they had their, their highest, uh, I think their, their best rushing performance since week one, and they did it without uh, Jonathan Taylor. And we're talking about this on a week after, one week after against Tennessee, remember, I think there were 1.7 yards per carry. I went back and looked. That was their worst yards per carry performance in like nine years. 
Okay, we're talking about all all the Pagano era offensive lines, even you know Trent Richardson and all of yeah. Trent was at least two point four. Right, worse than that. Okay, Khaled Holmes and all those guys, right? You know, remember that. So we're talking about worse than that eros. Uh, most of that era's uh, yard per carry performance, and that's, I'm cherry picking stats a little bit, but I mean, it does tell you something. I think I think yards per carry tells you a lot. So anyway, I, I saw some really viable run blocking late in that game. They busted a couple runs that they weren't long runs, but they were they were adequate runs, and the kind of runs you need to at least make your offense functional. So get Jonathan Taylor healthy. And try to tap into that. Try to lean into that. Because you're right. The, the run blocking is the one thing I never worried about with this team. And it has it has been greatly diminished. Okay, as you look ahead to Sunday, and again, Stephen Holder's with us from ESPN.com. I've got Quint Nelson at left guard and Sharpie. I'm moving Braden Smith back to right tackle. At yeah. left tackle, I, I guess you stick with Bernard Ryman. I, I do think there's an element of I probably have one eye towards the future. Let him grow. you got to help him out a little bit more than you did last Thursday. But... I think, you know, a, a, another chance makes sense. Center and right guard, though, Stephen, I debate. I, I really debate Danny Pinter and Ryan Kelly. I know financially there's no debate, but uh, that's a debate for me. And then at right guard, I would debate Will Fries and Matt Pryor. I think Pryor is much more of a guard than he is a tackle. Your thoughts on that sort of offensive line makeup for Sunday? Okay, I will start with over. Right, so certainly I agree with you on Quentin Nelson and Braden Smith. I think those are no brainers. Uh, you, you gotta, you gotta stabilize the tackle spot and, and putting Matt Pryor at right tackle was not the move. Okay. Like at the end of the day, tackles right or left, you're going to see speed. All right. If you can't handle the speed on the left side, you're not going to handle the speed on the right side. So I like the, I, I like the idea in theory of shaking it up last week. I'm glad they did it. It shows that they're self-aware and they know that they suck right now, but that that was not the move. So yeah, get prior off off of any sort of offensive tackle spot. Uh, I do like Ryman at left tackle. I think he has a lot of upside. I actually don't think his performance was nearly as bad as the penalties indicate because I thought a couple of the penalties were a little half-assed. Can I say that on the radio? Yes, I am. Um, all right, so yeah, I thought I thought there were a couple of ticky-tack calls, and I think he settled in in the second half. I think he is the guy who has the brightest future there. There's no question. I mean, he's the only guy with a future, but but he has a future, I think, potentially. And you need to see more. So let him settle. And he did that, by the way, with no practice, literally no practice last week. So give him a shot. He's got a full week to work on it, and he's going to see all kinds of speed this week. So we'll see. We're going to find out about him this week. This is a tough matchup for him. Now, at center and, and right guard, I agree with you at right guard. I think that – Fryer is a better option there. I think Will Fries is the guy we don't know a lot about, and maybe it's time to find out. I, I thought that there was a lot of optimism about him uh, in the offseason internally, and, and even in training camp we heard some good things. I don't know. I mean, how bad could he be? Let's see. By Ryan the way, Kelly's a tough one. Steven, right? speaking collegiately real quick, Steven, I know you're a graduate of Miami. Uh, they're on They're on a real hot streak here, right, the Hurricanes? Well, I mean, hot streak of not losing by three touchdowns. Losing to Texas A&M, losing to, was it mid-Tennessee State? 
it's it's Middle Tennessee State. Sorry, okay, sure. Middle the, Tennessee the three State. Three people in our in our listenership who went there. Would and be losing to North Carolina, uh, what the hell's going on with Miami? They they had high expect. I mean, honestly, and, and I'll I'll turn it you know localize it here. But it's kind of like the Colts, right? I mean, there was this high expectation, and you just kind of go, well, "What's going on here?" Well, two th- one thing, two things actually. The the expectations were 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 a little too grand, for sure. There's no question about. Were that. they for the, the Colts? Expectations. Well, the Miami. I know, but what sure. I'm saying were they the Colts, were they equally inflated for the Colts? Yeah. I... Yeah, I guess if you consider where they're at right now versus what they were talking about before the season, I, I guess so. Yeah, and and I think for different reasons, but but there's there is one common there's one common sort of characteristic between the two. I think both teams had a lot of high hopes at quarterback, and the quarterback production has been underwhelming for both. You know, I, I think they were talking about you know. Miami's quarterback, for example, being a first-round pick potentially, projected first-round pick next year. Uh, we Obviously, Matt Ryan, there's a lot of hope invested in him, and, and that hasn't panned out. So uh, it goes back to quarterback at, at every level of football, right? That's the other thing. That's the one thing I should say. The, the thing with Miami, I would say, is that I think really the, the, the personnel was, over, was certainly overrated outside of quarterback as well. I think next year they have a pretty good recruiting class if they can keep these guys, if they don't get so offended and maybe go somewhere else. If they can keep that recruiting class intact, they have a chance. That's not necessarily a, a, a parallel with the Colts there, but I do think the one, the one possible parallel is that some of the returning players of the Colts are underperforming. Maybe some of the players we thought with Miami who were, who were better, we thought they were better than they are, turns out they're not. And – I don't know. I, I, the difference is some of these players in Indianapolis have played well before, i.e. the offensive linemen, and now can't get their act together. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm reaching a little bit there, but, but I, I see where you're going with that. There definitely were expectations that have not been met on both sides. Steven, um, one coach is in his first year, the other guy's on the hot seat. <laughs> now, do you think Frank Reich is on the hot seat? I do, yeah. You think absolutely. Chris Ballard's on the hot seat? Uh, his seat is warm, not hot. Okay. Um, we, we, we got just rousing. We had a meeting the other day where they, they did some market research and said that the number one topic that we talked about in the last month was DB Cooper in terms of audio, uh, you know, audience response. And so since we know now that you're a fascination uh, with DB Cooper, um, have you watched the Dahmer show on Netflix? We finished it last night. Have you watched it? No, I, I've only gotten through one episode and I, I, I downloaded a bunch of them uh, saying I was going to watch them on my flight out west last week, and I just ended up working half half way through the flight, so I didn't get very far. But okay. I've got it queued up. So, circle well, back uh, spoiler me. alert, he gets convicted. Um, oh, boy. But – well, that doesn't seem fair. No. <laughs> yeah, curious if you have a counter to that, Stephen. We have you on next Wednesday. I, I did want to go back to just saying before we got into Miami's five-star recruits. I think you were going to say something on the Ryan Kelly front. Uh, oh, yes, yeah. Well, I, I uh, and I get injuries I have played you. into it, Stephen. I I get injuries have played into it. Yeah. But I just have seen a, a downfall, and every week I feel like we watch these telecasts and Pro Bowl center Ryan Kelly. I'm like, well. Not really. It's I'm I'm kind of stunned, man. I don't know what to, I don't know how to 
how to talk about it anymore. And when I when I mean that, what I mean by that, excuse me, is I don't know what to say. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't know how to explain it. I'm not saying that Ryan Kelly was ever, you know, some Hall of Fame player. But my God, what in the world? I, I don't know, man. I, I can't understand it. And I want to believe that he's just massively injured. <laughs> I want to believe that because I like Ryan Kelly. I think he's a good player, or at least at one point was. And I'm not seeing it, and I don't understand it. But I, but I agree with you. I think it's going to be extremely difficult, though. It will be extremely difficult for for them to bench him. Uh, it, it would be probably the, the biggest personnel decision Frank Reich's ever made. Not because he's just you know this great player, but just in terms of status, right? Yeah, longest so tenure, like Colt. Don't laugh at me here. Could they move him elsewhere? I I, I don't know. I, I don't mean, know. They... I don't know. I don't know the last time he played anything but center. I, I mean, could he do it uh, theoretically? Sure, uh, but. You know, is it, is it a good move? Is it the best move? I have no idea. And I don't know if they do either. I, I don't think they have any clue. I, He's never played anything else. When when it comes to putting Danny Pinter into the sitter position, do you feel like that, for both you guys, Kevin, uh, feel free to chime in here, is that sentiment, do you think, more about the fact that Danny Pinter played it at a level that it's hard to keep him away from it, or Ryan Kelly has simply regressed to the point where it's dangerous to have him there? Uh, I think that two things. Number one, I think Danny Pinter is a viable NFL player, but not at guard. He is a viable NFL player at center. Um, Ryan, is he, is he an upgrade from Ryan Kelly right now? Pro- probably a little bit. I, I think we probably need to see a little more, but all I know is that Ryan Kelly is hurting them. That That is a fair statement. Ryan Kelly is hurting them. Now, if you get better play at right guard and stabilize the right guard spot, does that help your center? It does. And, and maybe that makes a difference, but you know, we're, we're projecting there. I don't know. Steven, last one from me. Um, by no means am I saying this as a starting jump, but do you think we are close at all to Sam Ellinger dressing for this football team this season? Like, Do you think it's crept into their minds of like, man, if Ryan gets hurt, we don't want a statue back there. We'd rather just have Ellinger running around. And maybe you would wait for Ryan actually to get hurt to make that move. But it seems like with the injuries starting to pile up for this team, the first time that's really been notable, noticeable that this season, we're kind of reaching a point where they got to do something with Sam Ellinger. I don't think so. And I'll tell you why. Two things. Number one, their record is such look, I get I, I see it, okay. I, I know what they look like, okay. But that doesn't matter. Their their record is such and until this changes, their record is such that they are in the playoff race. Okay. Oh, for sure. And they've got They're the AFC South at, favorite in Vegas. Yeah. I, I mean they've got they've got at, they're at Tennessee next week. They can go down there and they can change everything, right? So we'll see. Uh so that's the first thing. That's the reality of it. And and by the way, you got a coaching staff that is singularly focused on on trying to win because they know what's at stake. <laughs> Their livelihood is at stake. And, and I think the players, you know, the players see it that way too. I mean, anyway, so the other thing is for all of his absolute disastrous play so far for Matt Ryan. Okay. And it has been bad at times, really bad at times. Matt Ryan 
they, they don't win that game last week without Matt Ryan. There's no way. And I know that he caused a lot of the problems that got them to, to have to make a fourth quarter comeback, and that was probably true in the previous games too. Be that as it may, all right, Sam Ellinger, if he ever steps in there and plays, he's going to screw up too, <laughs> okay? Let me tell you, he's probably going to screw up a lot. And, and that's not a slight to him. It's just a product of, of a young quarterback playing, right? That's going to happen, especially one who has disadvantages like he does. Size, uh, certainly arm strength, all those things, right? So Matt Ryan's ability to, in the face of, you know, a, a pretty daunting situation, be able to step in there and make difficult throws, which he did do and has done in fourth quarters of most of their games, that's going to be the difference right now and I, in the coaches' minds, and I don't think anything will change as a result of all of those reasons. It'll be the uh, first uh, rematch in the AFC South this season for the Colts. As Steven said, it's at Tennessee next Sunday, but home to Jacksonville coming up this Sunday at 1 o'clock. The Colts are a two-point favorite currently in that one. Steven, as always, thank you, my man. Okay, guys. Talk to you soon. Steven Holder right there from ESPN.com on the Payless Liquors hotline. Uh, let's hit a morning check down here on Kevin and Corey. The morning check down. Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Uh, Major League Baseball last night and yesterday in the playoffs getting underway. The divisional series, it was the Phillies over the Braves 7-6. All of these results meaning the winning team is up one game to nothing. Dodgers in the nightcap over the Padres, 5-3. It was the Astros come from behind in dramatic oh. fashion, 8-7. The gut punch to the Mariners, right? Gut punch. The race for 27 outs. Jordan Alvarez, three-run homer there in the ninth. I mean, Bregman in the eighth, Jake. Two-run shot. They're up 7-3, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Going to the bottom of the eighth. Do you have a financial stake in the Mariners? No, like you do with I, the Pacers? I do not. I fully admit I do not. I'm not just saying that in case Maddie's dropping Rosie off at daycare. Um, <laughs> but do you think? No, no, hold on. If she's dropping Rosie off at daycare, she's probably listening to like 80s on eight, right? No, or 90s she, on nine or lithium. Or she, trust me, she texted me last week and was like, "You're making me sound mean on air. Stop." Really? Yeah, I know. Trust me, that was not a good night for me going back home. Um, and I'm not mean. Sleep on the couch. <laughs> but think about that. You get six runs off of Verlander. You think you're made. You think you're made. Up 7-3, going to the bottom of the eighth. Up 7-5, going to the ninth. And, boy, oh, that one hurts. That one hurts. Do you know how difficult it would be to be the Astros and be in the same postseason with the Yankees, Braves, and Dodgers and yet still be the least popular team nationwide and the one that people are the most sick of? Yeah. But does it seem like they do this stuff? What the Astros did yesterday, yes. they've done that over well, the last they know what handful pitch is of postseasons. They're out yanking the Yankees lately. Where they're yeah, that's well put. It's the us versus them, and they're just like people yeah. forget though. This all began for the Astros when they said, you know what, we are going to scale it down, and we're going to lose a hundred games. We're just going to tell you right now, we're going to lose a hundred games, and they got a bunch of young players, and here they are, right? Uh, Phillies and Braves will be at four thirty-five today. Game two, Dodgers and Padres at eight thirty-seven tonight. Pacers home preseason opener is tonight against the Knicks. Again, Aaron Neesmith dealing with a foot injury. He should go to good food store. Fasciae. I, I, boy, that, that worries me, Jake. This is, it's a guy that needs consistent minutes. I, I get that, you know, right now they hope he's back for opening night, but no injuries need to be stunting 
his consistent role, which I think right now would be alongside T.J. McConnell and Benedict Matherin with that second unit. The, the problem with plantar fasciitis is it is difficult to get under control, and it can resurface when you least expect it. Again, why he should go to the good feet store. But um, that's something to watch for certain. And he is a player in Aaron Neesmith, Kevin, that um, I think they need to see what he can do, right? right. Without question. Um, he was their leading scorer in the preseason opener and then got hurt in that second preseason game. O'Shea Bursett, Kendall Brown, their second-round pick out of Baylor. Those are a couple names Rick Carlisle's mentioned as ones that will need to fill in without Neesmith. At college football this weekend, Jake, you gave the rundown earlier locally. Nationally, it's a really good slate. I think it's like right around a handful of games against ranked teams, the highlight being Alabama traveling to Neyland to take on the Tennessee Volunteers. Be a lot of orange, man. That is three versus six. Alabama currently a touchdown favorite in that one. About I have not seen if Bryce Young is playing. Have you guys seen anything on that? I no. have not seen that, although with Alabama, you know, they just – they recycle and reload, right? Granted, Big test granted, for Tennessee. That quarterback walking into that environment, though, they're they're back up. Uh, Maryland is at Indiana. Maryland favored by eleven and a half in that one. Purdue will host Nebraska at Ross A. Purdue favored by nearly two touchdowns. And then Notre Dame's got Stanford. On how are you a double digit underdog at home against Maryland? Yeah, that's bad. Really bad. I mean, come on, man. Come on. I mean, their offensive line. You talk about broken. Uh, UConn at Ball State, by the way, a 2 o'clock kick on Saturday as well. All right, we come back. Uh, we'll talk a little Big Ten Media Day. Yesterday we heard from um, both Mike Woodson and Matt Painter up in Minneapolis as we are less than a month away from the college basketball season getting underway. Some big-time expectations in Bloomington. And for Purdue, it's trying to find a point guard with, to go along with probably one of the best front courts in the country. We'll chat about that next here on Kevin and Corey. Jake, I had a feeling this was going to happen. I thought it would either be Stephon Gilmore or Chase McLaughlin, but I figured one of them would be a AFC player of the week. The AFC and NFC. They, Did they, you say Stephon Gilmore? This one for Mr. Gilmore. Uh, you know, <laughs> Stephon's got that gold audio that he can take home each night. Um, he did not win AFC Defensive Player of the Week this week, but the special team player of the week is indeed chase mclaughlin wow okay um which i think again to be expected four for four makes from 48 51 52 on the road outdoors clutch kicks well deserved allow me to chase ask McLaughlin. this in terms of and he won it over justin tucker in terms of player of the week awards granted we are only five weeks in right is that the first Colt player to win an award this year? I would say for sure. Because I think pretty much you only win the award if your team wins. So the only other week would have been Kansas City, and I don't think the Colts had any individuals so, in that game. So Maybe Chris first, Jones won it that week for the Colts. Who was the last Colt to win an offensive, defensive, or special teams player of the week? Boy, I'm guessing here, Jonathan Taylor, the Patriots game last year. So the first player to win an individual award in the NFL for this season or since then was a guy that they didn't even have on the roster on opening day, right? Yeah, pretty crazy. Maybe Shaquille Leonard late last year. I, I don't know. Maybe he would have been 
one that took that home. But, uh, again, Chase McLaughlin, uh, the other make was from 31 yards out, a 4-for-4 night for him in Denver. Yesterday was Big Ten Media Day from Minneapolis for the men's basketball teams around the conference. Jake, the unofficial media poll had Indiana getting 19 of 28 first-place votes. In order from there, it was the Fighting Illini, Michigan, Michigan State, and Purdue. That would be your top five preseason. Um, It was just another reminder, and again, I think there's a lot of reason for optimism with Indiana this season, but it was another reminder, Jake, of that bullseye is going to look a whole lot different than it's been in recent years. They haven't finished better than ninth in the Big Ten in the last four years, and now they're preseason favorite. And how they react to that is going to be fascinating. So a couple of things here about Big Ten Media Day. Number one, I'll I'll begin with Purdue. I thought it was funny when Matt Painter came out and said, "Uh, we had a great offseason, everybody's great, we're really looking forward to it. And he was like, does anybody come out here and say that they were terrible? Does anybody come out and say nothing went right for us, we're real, you know, which is kind of funny and, and very vintage Matt Painter. Um. You know, Purdue's really going to rely on their size, which in 2022, uh, not every team... I mean, it's a loaded front court. It is. Uh, and that's going to have to be their their calling card, so to speak. Um, in terms of Indiana, you know, I know people that have gone down and watched them practice. And you always hear this. I mean, you can go all the way back. There are a million players over the course of Indiana annals that you can look back on and people are like, oh, man, you know, he's great in practice. But there are the thing that I've heard about Indiana that does I'm not going to say set them apart, Kevin, but set them apart from a year ago is that they have massively increased with their young players their length and their athleticism. And I know those are buzzwords in basketball, but um, I think IU fans would rather hear shooting. That's the one question mark for them. That is simply the one question mark for them is who is going to be their reliable dead-eye shooter. And I think there are a lot of people that think they are that player away from being a Final Four caliber team, honestly. You know, the Xavier Johnson that Indiana got in the back half of the Big Ten season into the Big Ten tournament, if that can become the norm, which with him, you probably never really know, but he did string together some consistent moments in February and March, that will obviously be huge for them. And I think you can say this about a lot of teams that bring back a guy that flirted with the NBA. But Trace Jackson Davis, in order to, I think, get NBA scouts to be a little bit more open-minded, he's got to do some things that probably isn't, definitely isn't playing to his strengths and probably not really playing to the strengths of what Indiana would ideally want him doing. Um, If he's stretching the floor just to impress people at the next level, is that taking away from a guy that if he never shot the ball outside of 10 feet in college basketball, he'd be 20 and 10 every night and be right. an All-American. That balance with Trey. And I think, by, you know, by all accounts, Trey seems like a very good dude. So that, I think, is just something to monitor. He didn't really do it last year, to be fair. Now it's another year of, again, actually testing the waters, and who knows, if he didn't get COVID, maybe he enters the draft. Um, but given their roster makeup, if they can hit a few more open looks this year, there's no reason why this team shouldn't be making a deeper run in March. Here are the two things that I've heard from people 
who have kind of scouted and watched Indiana so far. And again, this is not gospel. I don't want people like coming back to me two months. What an idiot is. I'm just telling you, I'm, this is admittedly secondhand information. But I've been told Jeremy Hood Shafino, I hope I'm saying these names correctly. Jalen. Uh, or Jalen, excuse me, is that good. I mean, he, he's a five-star recruit. He's, you know, uh, a 6'5 point that is fast, long, the whole deal. I, I've heard, yes, in fact, he is. Everything is advertised, and people are going to understand right away why everybody wanted him. And that and that's what Indiana has needed and gone after and sought is the five-star, probably one-and-done level player. And that he is that, that that Hood Shafino is that. Now, the other thing that I heard is Malik Renault, who was the guy that came along with him, who's another highly touted player, uh, is a few years away. He's more in the Hunter Perea of good body, good everything else, but a lot to learn. Again, Trace Jackson Davis, Trace Thompson in that front court. Um, Indiana didn't lose much. I mean, Fennessey um, from last year's team. Miller Cops got to shoot it better. Um, I mean, that was a little huge... bit more consistent um, for sure. And I think Tamar Bates is a big X factor for them. Um, if he can, again, provide some consistency. There were some flashes his freshman year. That would be huge. For Purdue, um, you know, I think you would just – if I'm Matt Painter, I would have I would have the urge of just handing the ball to Braden Smith, the freshman from Westfield, and say, here you go. Because that could be your point guard for the next, you know, three, four seasons. And I felt like he clearly showed – playing in a very loaded sectional that this is a guy that has big time kind of game ability and the moment isn't too big for him and that's where I would go if I were Purdue I think there are some questions in the backcourt obviously losing Jaden Ivey was huge can Brandon Newman you know step up into a bigger role um, but I think giving Braden Smith that ball and letting him operate is the path I would go a couple of things for Purdue to me that are intriguing Trey Kaufman Wren you know how, how much I think he's really good, obviously. But yeah, red-shirted as a five-star, so they don't see. Correct. Probably could have played last year, but it, I get it. And I think that they have very high expectation for him. Also, when it comes to you talk about their front court being pretty loaded, Mason Gillis, by body type and size, is a front – you know, he's a like a bulldog-type player, but his outside shooting – how much do they bring him out and how much does that kind of get things going? Even, in fact, if Newman's not able to give you the perimeter play. some important shots for him last year. Totally. Oh, no question. And I like what you're saying about Braden Smith because the reality is, you know, the ball was last year in Jaden Ivey's hands so often that you're going to have to kind of distribute that around and around in the backcourt for Purdue and find out where your guy is. And it might take them a little bit longer to figure that out. I feel like having that true kind of multi-year point guard – is probably one of the few things that's been missing from the Purdue puzzle over the years. And I think you even go back to kind of the, you know, Etwan Moore, Hummel, Juwan Johnson. Again, Moore playing off the ball. Obviously, Hummel playing off the ball. Juwan, a big guy. Um, having that, and if you can build around that moving forward, I think would be absolutely huge. Mark, you got that Mike Woodson Big Ten title audio from yesterday. And this is up yep. at Big Ten Media Day in Minneapolis. Here was Mike Woodson yesterday. So, again, we got to stay healthy, number one. Uh, you know, number two, yes, we got to make shots, but our defense has still got to be our staple. You know, I, I thought all along last season 
we were in every ball game because we defended. And that can never go away. I mean, that will always put you in position to win a basketball game. And so we're preaching defense, but it, it's not going to hurt now if we can add a little offense to that, too. I, do, I did think defensively, Jake, huge step forward for them last season. But again, you're going from expectations of on the bubble, on the bubble, on the bubble, to now all of a sudden people are talking about you in a light of a Big Ten favorite and potentially a team that can sniff the end of March, maybe beyond. Yeah, no, I think it's a team that can make some noise for certain. Now, isn't it down year in the Big Ten? You know, I I, I kind of like what you said earlier, Kevin. Do we know? I mean, in the world of transfers and one and dones, and uh, do we know? I guess if you were to look back on like the all Big Ten teams from last season, Jake, like first, second, and third team, I'd venture to guess outside of Trace Jackson Davis and Hunter Dickinson, not a lot are coming back. Correct. That's why, and you don't know, and recruiting is such a crapshoot. You know, I you just never know. There are so many guys that. I, you know, I recall Michigan State had a power forward. I'm going back to when I was in high school. Street and Smiths would come. You know, back then you only knew of 25 recruits coming out because Street and Smiths would have their little circular photo in black and white in the back of the college basketball annual, which was like a basketball Bible, you know. And, and you you knew like, oh, man, Gerard Mustaf. He almost went to Indiana, but he went to Maryland instead. Or, But a big one was a guy named, and I don't even know if I'm saying his last name correctly, Matt Staginga who was a big-time power forward, you know, can do everything, recruit for Michigan State. He's a nice player. He's a nice player. Uh, you know, I'd never heard of Michael Finley or Sean Respert, and they were four-year studs at Wisconsin and Michigan State, respectively. More recently, obviously, to put it back in terms that people can relate to, from an Indiana standpoint, I mean, boy, there were – I mean – People were doing backflips when Indiana got their verbal commitment from Peter Jerkin and Hunter Perea and Marshall Strickland. I, all were, you know, I mean, for that matter, Deron Davis. I remember he 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 made his announcement for Indiana at his high school cafeteria and some dork that lives in Denver dressed up in candy-striped pants and took his kid and went into the school and sat down in the cafeteria. And people were like, who is this loser? And why is he holding a pep rally? Because this kid announced he's going to IU. And he was a good player. I liked him, but he got hurt. And then it was just an he was just a guy. I think the nice thing, though, with these freshmen, Jake. Jaden Ivey was not like, was Purdue doing backflips when Jaden Ivey verbaled? For IU's freshmen, though, they don't need to, them to play 30 minutes a game. Yeah, that's fair. Is Hood Shafino a slam dunk to start? I think so. You know, it, but I've but, heard that Hood Shafino looks the type, Kevin, where it's like, okay, th- th- this it's going through him. But it's not like how you felt about Romeo as a freshman, or Correct. like in in terms of necessary. Yes, he's going to play a big role, but Malik Renault was never thought he was going to start. I think Hood Shafino is going to be better than Romeo, though. Race Thompson and Trace Jackson Davis, obviously, being the front court. Something I did love to see college basketball wise, and I guess this falls into the will IU and Kentucky make anything official from playing each other's standpoint after it seems like there's been a lot of public flirting between Mike Woodson and John Kyle Perry on that front. How about this six-year series between Kentucky and Gonzaga? Kentucky's going to go to Gonzaga and play at the neutral site up there. I guess not neutral, but Spokane Arena in 2022. They'll play at Rupp in 23. 
They'll play in Seattle in 24. They'll play in Nashville in 25. And then in 2026, 2027, they'll play on each team's campus site. So Rupp and then the Kennel is where they call Gonzaga's cool. home floor. I love that. I would love to see Indiana and Purdue both. You know, Indiana had a home-and-home home for a couple of years there with, like, Missouri. You know, why not just find – everybody gets – and listen, I love the Kentucky-Indiana rivalry. I mean, I absolutely loved it. I loved it when Indiana and Purdue would play Louisville. I, you know, it's great. I like the on-campus ones. I, as much totally. as Banker's Life That's why, and Gamebridge so, was fun, I just love those atmospheres. So I've always wondered why Indiana or Purdue, either one, doesn't just call up a random Power 5 school – you know, a nice uh, one of those teams that makes the tournament every three years. That's a solid program. Iowa State, or uh, you know, LSU, Mississippi State. You know what? Let's play a home and home four year, four year deal and play a home. Why not? Like, I, I realize that people want to see them play Kentucky and Louisville, and I get it. But instead of playing a you know, I mean, how many times can Indiana play like a Maryland regional campus? Well, Indiana's schedule this year, there, there's no. They they amped it up for there's sure. No, no questioning what Mike Woodson's done schedule wise. No, you've and got, I get that, right? You're at Xavier. You've got North Carolina, the Big Ten Challenge. Kansas, and then right? And you've scheduled at Kansas and Arizona and Vegas. If people want to go to Lawrence, I think you'd really like it. I think you'd really like it. I think you'd be surprised by. Where's your statue there? <laughs> in the, the library right as you walk in is what someone told me that's the first time actually that my likeness has been in the university of kansas <laughs> library um but you know i think people would be surprised at ku because they're so used to whether it be harry's and lafayette or kilroy's or nicks in bloomington there isn't necessarily like a bar strip in lawrence like on campus i mean lawrence is a cool now it's kind of its own little city but Allen Fieldhouse really, and I did not appreciate it when I was there as a student, but Allen Fieldhouse is pretty special, and it's pretty cool. It's Hinkle-esque. I don't think it's as raucous and as intimidating as people think, um, but it is a pretty neat place, and it's right there in the middle of campus, and if you're thinking about going to KU to see Indiana play at Kansas, you're looking at an eight-hour drive from here, seven and a half, basically, to eight hours, but you would enjoy it. It's, it's a noon cool. tip on Saturday, December 17th from Lawrence the week before there in Vegas to take on Arizona. All right, Jeremiah Johnson uh, to talk Pacers preseason home opener in about 10 minutes. Greatest band ever assembled. Not named the Beatles. Is that controversial? What's that? That comment? That Guns N' Roses is the greatest band ever assembled. Not named the Beatles. I don't think so. Do you? Can we all just agree that I, whether you like them or not, that the Beatles is the greatest band of all time? I, I mean, that's pretty indisputable, is it not? Yeah, it seems to be kind of music 101. Uh, yeah, I mean, their their influence alone is pretty amazing. John goes, seems like this guy just walked in and did his job. Unsung hero calling Chase McLaughlin. I, I would agree. I thought Chase McLaughlin did his job uh, back in 2019 when Adam Vinatieri, you finally said enough was enough. McLaughlin came in. I want to say he was like 9 of 10 on field goals to end that season. Can you imagine replacing Adam Vinatieri if you're a kicker? Is that their guy, you think? For now, right? <laughs> he He's not the most, like, 
I think there's a ceiling with Chase McLaughlin, but I think from a temperament standpoint, he could he can study the ship for you. And the ship was really rocky. But I still think you could find, you know, more of a big leg guy and um should look into that in the offseason. But for now, Good work by Chase McLaughlin, AFC Special Teams Player of the Week. All right, we'll talk Pacers preseason home opener next. Jeremiah Johnson. The 9 o'clock hour is underway. My name is Jay Query, Kevin Bowen, the other voice you hear on this program. Mark Dykton as well. It's Kevin and Query on 93.5. And let me tell you something. They had a meeting for a month about how to come up with that name. 93.5, 107.5, the fan. Joining us now in the Payless Liquors guest line, Jeremiah Johnson, who is with Bally Sports Indiana. He is... Uh, stepped away from his role as the primary sideline reporter for the St. Louis Cardinals in order to do his Pacers duties on the side. Um, Jeremiah. You used that joke a couple weeks ago. You don't need to bring it back. (laughs) Wow. Jeremiah Well, thanks for joining us, Jeremiah. We look forward to the season upcoming. Um, Boy, I can't. I was already looking forward to tonight. Now I'm really looking forward to tonight, JJ. Now, see, Jeremiah, That's here's right. the thing. We have to recycle our audience every 22 minutes because of the, the commute time in Indianapolis, see, because our product is available to everybody, streaming or not. See, that's oh, the, so, wow. so we have to recycle man. that. Um, you know what J.J. said about your joke? In my opinion, that sucked. <laughs> no surprise yeah. there. No, I, it was good at the time, but, you know, baseball season is though. so, you know. Well, I it is for the Cardinals. That's correct. Peru Circus, or I expected a Peru Circus or a mascot reference before the, the, the baseball. Yeah, let's not give him any play. ideas, JJ. Yeah, let's we'll, focus on the task at hand. We're going to start the whole thing over again. Here we go. Uh, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Good morning. My name is Jake Quarry. Kevin Bowen here as well. Jeremiah Johnson, who was once Charlie Cardinal for, uh, Cardinal for Ball State and also was a trapeze artist uh, growing up in Peru, which is the circus capital of the world, joins us. JJ, Kevin was just saying, and I want your thought on it. Um, th- this year for the Pacers, they have the opportunity to really, I-, I think they've been smart kind of in their upfront nature here of what they're doing, which is renovating the entire thing altogether and kind of taking the pressure off themselves. Is that true? I think so. I mean, you still are going to play games and you're going to try to win, but you're not necessarily in January or February going to determine whether you've had a successful season by where you are in the standings. You're going to look at individual development. And you're going to use a lot of these games to, you know, determine rotations, determine what you have and what is the piece that you're going to want to build around moving forward. So there is a little bit of, you know, the pressure is off a little bit. I think maybe even when we talked last week, I might've even referenced this, that you're going to have some teams that come in and maybe take the Pacers, for granted or take it as a win and take them lightly. And I know one thing that this team will play hard every single night. And there will be some nights that it looks really good. And there will be some nights that they struggle. And last week is a perfect example. They looked really good in Charlotte. And then they took on a team that is a little bit of a different makeup, maybe a little more physical in the New York Knicks and, and they struggled. So we'll see what they can do if they can make some adjustments and they, they can make some incremental improvements tonight when they have a rematch against the Knicks. Uh, JJ, non-defense, because I would say that would be the biggest question. Um, what would be your biggest on-court concern, curiosity about this team? Um, you know, individually, there are a few guys that I'm just looking to see how they play together. And, and one of them is, is Jalen Smith with you know, Miles Turner in the front court. And maybe even specifically, if Jalen Smith can be the kind of player that 
is a starting four and someone that you're going to have, you know, 28 to 30 minutes? Or is he someone that starts some games and maybe plays just as much as maybe your backups? And there are going to be some, some situations and some times where, you know, can he guard a smaller stretch four? Or even at times on Friday, maybe struggle a little bit where he was trying to guard Julius Randle, who's a unique four. There are not a lot of fours. Uh, like Julius Randle. So maybe specifically I'm going to be watching Jalen Smith early on in this season. And, and then, um, you know, defense is, you, you said remove that from the equation. Rebounding is something I think we've always tried to watch. And I think it's something that is, it was emphasized last season. And it's been something that maybe doesn't, hasn't gotten as much attention in training camp, but I know they're working on it. You've got to finish the possessions and, do they have the kind of lineup that can be, you know, really good at rebounding? If you look at just the starting lineup, you know, Miles Turner is a really good defender. At times, rebounding hasn't been his strength. So can Jalen Smith get in there and get the tough rebounds? If you're having a backcourt with Duarte, Halliburton, and, and Buddy Heald, there is some concern to me of, of some rebounding and, and giving up second-chance opportunities. So in a, in a big-picture theme, uh, aspect rebounding might be the one thing I might be watching early in the season. What player most intrigues you? I mean, there are a lot of intriguing players on this year's roster, uh, both kind of in a good and bad category in terms of what's known about them. But who most intrigues you? Terry Taylor, probably, just because last season you saw him playing a lot against. You know, it was it was a time where the Pacers were giving opportunities to different players on different nights, and you you really liked the potential that he had, but. I'm still a little bit intrigued by what he is specifically. You know he's, I think you've even referenced this, the Swiss Army type where he can play a lot of different positions. But what is his best position? What is his best role? And maybe it goes back to my last answer. And he might be the best rebounder on the team. He might be one of the best rebounders in the NBA, especially pound for pound or at least for his size. So that will get him on the court. But can he do some of the other things to stay on the court to make sure that you know, you don't take advantage of him in other aspects. So I think he's the most intriguing. I I like him as a guy that can come off the bench and, and play for. And, you know, maybe you have some small lineups that get out and go. And if he was just about three or four inches taller, yeah, he would be, you know, out, outstanding. But he is what he is, and he takes advantage of what he's given. So um, I think he fits that intriguing description for someone that I'll be watching as well. Bally Sports, Jeremiah Johnson, no pregame show, right, tonight? No pregame today or Friday, and then we'll be um, normal plan for next week with a one-hour pregame show prior to that season opener. And even before that, on Monday, I believe, we'll have a few different airings of uh, special 30-minute season previews. So you should actually get about an hour and a half of pregame coverage on Wednesday because I think that would air – uh, 5.30 to 6, the season preview show, and then the one-hour Pacers Live next Wednesday. So that'll be in about a week, but just the game tonight and Friday on Valley Sports. JJ, it's rather shocking. I've waited till 9.08 to touch on Benedict Matherin, but I'm practicing patience here with Mr. Matherin. Um, I like the second unit role for him right now. I think you've seen it in these preseason games. I mean, he is got major scoring ability, and I think with T.J. McConnell and if Terry Taylor's in that second unit, you know, Aaron Neesmith's more of a spot-up guy when he's healthy. I think it makes sense to have Matherin with that group. I would think the thing that stood out to me in the summer league, and we've seen it here in the first couple of games, has been his willingness to drive and his ability to finish at the rim. 
uh, get to the foul line a little bit. I think that's kind of an area of his game that we didn't see a ton of at Arizona. And the fact that you've seen it so early in his rookie season, to me, JJ, that kind of adds to the, you drafted a, a prospect that had a lot of kind of raw ability to go along with some pretty, you know, NBA type traits right away as well. It's a great sign because you would think the opposite, right? You would think you're you're playing against college guys and you would maybe just because of your, you know, muscle, athleticism, force, be able to attack and drive, and then you would maybe take it slowly in the NBA against much bigger players. And to have him be able to do that shows signs in summer league. And I've seen in practice he does have that ability to get to the basket and a willingness to. And, and you have to have guys to be successful. You have to have guys that can – you know, beat their their man off the dribble, that can beat the double teams, that can get to the basket. The one thing in our interview uh, that we had with Kevin Pritchard that will air on that season preview show next week, and he said something, and it caught me off guard a little bit, but it makes a lot of sense, is he said we're going to take things slowly with Benedict Matherin. And it's tough because he's probably the kind of player, if you ask him, he doesn't want to take things slowly. He wants to go full speed ahead on opening night, do as much as he can, as fast as he can, and so they're going to have to probably have a little bit of a balance. As you mentioned, it does look like as of now, maybe coming off the bench. I don't think the starting lineup is officially set for next week, but I think that is a good role for him because, you know, a you're, you're scoring and you're defending most likely when you first come into the game against maybe second unit players and you can feel your way a little bit. And the one thing that will help him if he's playing with that second unit, help him get to the basket, help him get, more opportunities. Not that playing with Tyrese Halliburton doesn't help you get looks, but I think T.J. McConnell at times, he'll be looking for his fellow Arizona Wildcat on the court, and he'll be giving Benedict Matherin some really easy opportunities. He can be the star of the second unit, the go-to guy, to where if you're in a starting lineup and you know one night you're, you're going against the backcourt that you're, you're facing uh, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, and then you've got these elite defenders, it can be a little challenging and maybe harder to get to the basket. So I, I think the role is perfect the way they've got him coming off the bench, the guys that he's playing with. He'll still play plenty of rotation minutes with guys like Tyrese Halliburton and, and interchangeable parts with some of those starters. But um, good point by you on him getting to the basket. Jeremiah Jeremiah Johnson from Bally Sports and the Pacers is our guest on the Payless Liquors guest line. I had mentioned this a couple of times, but I want your, your thought on it. The Pacers have been very open, and I, I kind of applaud this approach. You know, they, they, they've they gone through the cycle of being a sixth seed, being a seventh seed, drafting 18th, and they've been very transparent and open about the fact of, like, you know, listen, this is a rebuild, a retool, and there are other teams that are going to be vying to do the same because it's a very deep, seemingly draft upcoming but Kevin and I were talking about this, and I want your thought on it, J.J. Are they almost too young, talented, and full of players that maybe don't know any better as to what their potential might be that they could just kind of fall their way into 25 to 30 wins despite, I hate saying, not trying to trying not to win games. I don't want to say it that way, but it just feels to me like there are going to be nights where they're going to get wins even – just by default because they have young, energetic talent. Your thoughts? I think there's. it's a valid point, and you can't uh, – it's a little difficult to start a season and you've yet to play one regular season game and you're concerned that, that you might win too much. I mean, that, and I understand the thought process and, and the feeling from – 
from you know media members, from fans, because at the end of the day, maybe what you're hoping for is development and one of these franchise-altering type of players. That being said, health will play a big factor. I mean, you don't have you have depth, but you don't have as much proven depth. So if you have an injury, or maybe you have a trade or a move, I I wouldn't. If you're a Pacers fan, I want you. You think you should go out opening week? I mean, there's three games at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. They're really all against opponents that you have a chance to compete with and to win. And if you go out and have a successful first week, be happy about that. I mean, I I don't want people to get confused in that this whole season is just about you know trying to get a, a good draft pick because they're going to try to win. I mean, they are. If, otherwise, you wouldn't see them practicing and going as hard as, as they can. And uh, the coaching staff, they're coaching to win games. So I understand what you're saying. I think there may be some concern, but you just have to go back to last week. If you ask them that question on Thursday, I'd say, wow, they dominated the Charlotte Hornets, and, and maybe they're a team that you know is much better and than, the pro, than the predictions. And then you see they're so young over the course of an 82-game season, if they stay that young, there are going to be nights like you had against the New York Knicks, and you have to just be willing to take your medicine a little bit. So uh, maybe see where everything is in January. And if you did end up winning more games than you thought and you're in the middle of January, then you adjust on the fly a little bit. I mean, who knows how things will go and what will happen at that point. So um, I understand the question. only thing I'll say is let's just see how things go in the first couple of months. 30 games. That's kind of where I'm – where I need it to be yeah. 30. Yeah. Right around. People 30. usually say 20 games, you know, a lot. I think it, I think 30 is a good, no, 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 no JJ. I need them to win 30 games oh. just for future five twenty nines <laughs> and just some things like that. We can talk more about that off air. I don't know if that's uh, a legal one 9 with it. Liberty to discuss. Yes. I know. I don't want to get you in. Tr- I don't want you to be full time with the St. Louis Cardinals by any means. <laughs> um, <laughs> Washington, San Antonio, Detroit, right out of the gate. I, I look at this schedule, and you just touched on it, JJ. It's got a very, like, three at home, five on the road, four at home, six on the road. I don't remember it being, like, that grouped. Am I wrong? I, I mean, you, you obviously travel. And I know you haven't done it in the past couple of years, so you probably pay attention to the schedule much more than I do. But I felt like it used to be a little bit more, you know, back-to-back, home and away, or, you know, like, things like that. Yeah, good good note by you, and it was odd when the schedule came out, especially the first half of the season. It did feel like more three- to four-game road trips and then home for, you know, you don't you didn't used to see this, home on a Friday and home on a Saturday. Uh, so that first week, you've got three opportunities to see the Pacers, and then everyone uh, that works the home games, they get a chance to catch their breath a little bit, and then we hit the road for the next five. So I do think it was an unusual schedule. I'm not sure there's anything to that other than when you're going for one game and flying right back, maybe you're adding some mileage and some unnecessary flights. And if you can you know, knock out a couple of games like on that first trip, it is one of the things that we've seen adjust in the schedule in the last couple of years. You're playing Brooklyn on a Saturday, you're staying there, and then you're playing them on Halloween night. So you're knocking out both of those games at Barclays Center in one weekend. So that definitely is less travel. That does, you know, maybe – you know, eliminate a little bit of wear and tear, even though it's on the the back half of the road trip. But for a young team, I don't necessarily worry as much about the road trips, especially early in the season. Everybody's got that youthful enthusiasm, that excitement. And I know personally, um, while it will be an adjustment because I haven't been on the road since the game against the Mavericks in March of 2020, I'm excited to get back to do the job 
and be able to, you know, see everything with my own eyes, all 82 games. And so I am looking forward to that trip. I just got to make sure I've still got the suitcases. They're all ready to go. All the, all the clothes are still fitting. So I've got some things to do before that first road trip. But um, we're looking forward to, to covering all the action all season long. All right, JJ, last one for me. Let's say a week from tonight, the Washington Wizards inside of Gamebridge Fieldhouse. It's 107-106, 12 seconds to go. Pacers down by one. Who do you want taking that last shot? I think Tyrese Halliburton is your guy. I mean, he's he, you want the ball in his hands maybe more than I would say with the last shot, and you are confident that he'll make the right decision, that if he has an opening, if he can get that shot off and have a good look, then I think you want him to have that shot. But he also would have that sense that, wait a sec, if I'm driving or if all of a sudden someone throws a double team at me, I can flip it over to, to Buddy Heald or uh, Chris Duarte. I mean, those, those are three guys. You, your backcourt shooters um, would be the guys that probably would most want the ball in my hands. But it would be a great debut if your guy, Betting Matherin, was on the yeah. court. I'm not sure if I can handle that. first game. <laughs> I, yeah. that, that would cross a line for me there, JJ. It's probably best, you know, wait till year, year two or year, year three for that one. Um, uh, th- there will be some moment this season that will have that opportunity, I will predict. Jeremiah, I'm, I can be a judgmental guy. Uh, so I'm going to judge you on this answer. If it's wrong, I'm actually, I'm totally going to call you out on it. I, I think we've had this discussion, so you probably know which way I will lean. I used to have this conversation a lot with Sean Devaney, who's a national basketball writer. But you, Jeremiah Johnson, travel the league. You go to other arenas. We will take Boomer out of the equation for the obvious reason. So my question for you is the best NBA mascot is who? Uh, it's a good question. A lot of the times they're doing their work when I'm doing my work, but I probably do pay more attention to the mascots than most. And so I'm going to start by saying the one that I am. That's not a I statement a lot of people say. <laughs> not a lot of 40-ish year old men say that. So thank you, Jeremiah. Uh, Benny the Bull is probably my least favorite. Can I start with okay, that? Okay, that's fair. Right, that's fine. That's good. Okay. Because his height. You know, constantly dumping popcorn on broadcasters when they're trying to do their job. At some point, it gets old. It was funny the first time, but every single oh, it's season. It's like the Charlie Cardinal, need- or it's like the Cardinal sideline joke. Okay. Good to know you judge All right. others. All uh, right. I'm going to go with the Gorilla, the gorilla from uh, the Suns. I think he, uh, yeah. he's he been doing it for a long time. Wow. Oh. <laughs> he's okay. He's not bad. Judge me? What about the Nuggets, dude? The Nuggets, he ranks up there pretty high, Rocky. I think <laughs> it is Rocky all the way, man. Yeah. He's got a lightning I bolt for a tail. Between those two. Him and Barkley would always get into it, right? Ah, oh, he's the best. Now, the Gorilla, it's hard. Jeremiah, I mean, I'll give you credit here. Now, that's proper pronunciation? I think that's right. There was, I don't know if it is. I just have a Gorilla goal, so I said Gorilla. <laughs> I'm not certain how that comes into play of why he's the Phoenix Suns mascot, but... He did have he 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 dropped his drumstick on the court a couple of years ago during a game in live action and his quickness to get out and clear the court of his drumstick and then find himself back to the sidelines was one of the more remarkable things I've ever seen. So he gets credit there, um, but I don't think anybody tops Rocky. I, the the well, Nuggets mascot. The funny thing is, is personally, whenever I see you know Rocky and I think of the Denver Nuggets, I know it's for 
gold nuggets, correct? Uh, but, you know, my sons, when they were first kind of getting used to, to the league and, and the different teams, they thought they were the Denver chicken nuggets. So I guess I have that problem <laughs> that I look at, I look at the Denver Nuggets mascot and I think his head's the chicken nugget. Uh, <laughs> you know, now that you mentioned it, it kind of does. I, I'm assuming he's a mountain lion, right? <laughs> I don't know that. I'll I think to, he's. Uh, I think Rocky is a mountain lion with a, but he's got a he's got a lightning bolt tail. But yes, the Nuggets are named Nuggets because of the the gold rush and the gold Nuggets. Yeah. We'll see. I think you guys could both appreciate this. My wife and I got our nephew uh, tickets to the Nuggets Pacers game. Ironically enough, for his birthday, and so we made kind of like, or she made, I should say, kind of like a little gift certificate looking thing. And I said, just just draw chicken Nuggets as the logo. He he's six years old. He would love that. Yeah, though. Um, I never actually, thought of that. The the issue though, it was a beautiful looking Pacers logo and Nuggets logo. She put Indianapolis Pacers. Oh boy. Uh, yeah. Oh my God! <laughs> Take it on the Colorado Nuggets. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so literally, Teddy's looking at it like, "Wait, I thought the Colts were Indianapolis and the Pacers were Indian." We've <laughs> we've confused him, but uh-huh. nonetheless, we'll be in the building. Got time to come around on that one. And that's probably one of the bigger home games early in the year, right? Aren't the Nuggets? I, I think the Nuggets are probably well, one of the favorites. Really, all of the Western Conference teams. I mean, maybe the. You know, I think from top to bottom, it's going to be really competitive, and you don't know who those top eight are going to be. And, and Denver's a team that never gets the credit at the beginning of the season, but if they're healthy, I'd put them right up there with anyone. Yeah, I would agree. JJ, have a great call tonight. We'll be watching. All right. Thanks both. I always appreciate this uh, morning enlightenment. Educate and entertain is what we do, Mark. Right? You think he genuinely meant that? Do no. you want to hear how the no, gorilla no, no. originated as the Suns yeah, mascot? Please. If- so in 1980, a telegram service employee, specifically a singing telegram service, was uh, hired by a fan to come do a singing telegram, but they wanted him dressed in a gorilla suit at the Suns game. So he tried to go in and security. He's like, well, we'll let you in, but you have to dance under the basket during a timeout. <laughs> and so he did, and the fans loved it. And so then they... Really? That's how it now, originated. There was a guy, true story, about five years ago, maybe 10... There was a guy who had racked up in Phoenix on their interstate. They're 465, basically. They have cameras that catch you if you're, like, speeding or running red lights or whatever. And some guy racked up, like, 600 and some odd dollars in speeding tickets. And they, I mean, he didn't pay any of them. And so he got a court date, and he went to court. And they're like, we have you on video. Like, you know, the the cameras have caught you, like, running. I can't remember if it was speeding or running a red light. And he said, I, I am so thankful that you that you people are on it like this because somebody every morning at 8 o'clock steals my car and brings it back at 5 o'clock every night, and all I know is that it's a gorilla. And they pulled up all of the photos they had, and the guy was wearing a gorilla mask. <laughs> and they had to wave the tickets because they couldn't prove it was him. I kid you not. You can look that up. True story. That's I don't think it was the gorilla, but it— Who even thinks of that? <laughs> Somebody who somebody who drives fast to work every morning, I guess. Now, is it true that Boomer is an ex-gymnast? Yes, uh, I believe. And, and uh, not to get into like the age, but very impressive because a little bit of an older gentleman, if yes, I'm not mistaken. And without divulging, yeah, I don't want Boomer's to identity, much, but, but um, if kids are listening in the car, I don't want them to be upset here. Um, a buddy of mine back well, when I was older already mentioned Santa earlier <laughs> with us. When I was a younger guy, uh, I was mutual friends with Boomer, 
and went over to Boomer's house, and Boomer was being uh, was taking a shower. Let's just say that. And okay. so I walked in, and the Boomer I outfit. Did not see this going the, well, down this what path. Well, what I'm saying is, Three, the, boy, what's going on here? What I'm saying is, the outfit was being cleaned, but um, and so I walked in, and and the outfit was hanging, like in just hanging, ha- air drying, and the head was in like a lazy boy, and it it kind of scarred me, and I was like 25. But it was a little much to see. But it is still the same guy. My point being, that was like 30 years ago. Same guy does it. And I believe Arizona State was where a bunch of those guys were gymnasts together. I could be wrong in that. Well, that took a turn. I wasn't Yeah, expecting. I was going to say. Um, we'll end the segment on this note. Um, get a text here that Jeremiah Johnson's laugh sounds like a dolphin. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have Jeremiah's laugh? No, I can... don't have that handy. I'm I guess still I... trying to get wash the memory of you seeing Boomer. Any, dol- any dolphins in the Peru circus? Dave Vontasmar drives nearly 30 miles a day from his home in North Phoenix to his job at the Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport and passes through the photo enforcement gauntlet on Interstate 17, Arizona's, uh, anyway, three different interstates. He racked up 37 tickets. <laughs> Not one of them is a picture where you can identify oh, the driver. Awesome. Says Vontas Mar, the ball's in their court. I sent back all the ones I got with a copy of my driver's license and said, it's not me. I'm not paying any of them. So That's he, tremendous. Yeah, racked up 37 tickets. They were all waived because he was, it was someone wearing, he will not have to pay the fines an amount that could exceed or would have exceeded $6,500 all told by the time it was all said. It's like a Reno 911 episode. <laughs> you know what Jake sounded like when he saw Boomer hanging up in the shower? <laughs> That's about right. Now, Boomer is a bobcat, isn't he? He's something. I don't know. I think he's is. actually Boomer the Panther. He's, he's the, in the cat family. He's I know the, that. Pa- the Pacers Panther, I like think. Like a smooth transition into the pop quiz here. 317-239-1070. We had a five for fiver yesterday. That's right. We have never had two in a week. We'll see. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. No sign of Scotty. He sent us an email and said, I'll be... Remote today. He's, but out, he he's saying us, he's headed in shame after that five for five. He's like, I got to work. Couldn't even show today. his face. Yep. He sent us the pop quiz, though, so we'll do that in about five minutes. For now, morning checkdown. The morning checkdown. Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. Major League Baseball last night. Dodgers over the Padres 5-3. They lead one game love in the NLDS. So too does Philadelphia after beating Atlanta 7-6. On the American League side, it was the Yankees over the Guardians 4-1. By the way, Bob Costas doing that game. I thought it was a bit awkward. uh, Okay, thank you. I'm so glad you said that. Listen, I have a ton of respect for Bob Costas. I know that he is a legendary broadcaster. He's one of the smoothest ever. It's been 22 years since he's done a game doing baseball, and I think, and this is me saying this, which is awkward, I think what Bob Costas maybe has missed is that in those 22 years, we've gotten away from the guy talking the entire time and telling stories about baseball's different than it was 22 years ago in the fact that the the history, and I have a great respect for his passion and certainly knowledge of the game of baseball, but I think maybe he needs to realize that not the entire audience now has that same knowledge and passion. That makes sense? Yeah. I would agree. Are my Mariners toast? Boy. That's just heartbreaking. Joe, the general manager at Meridian 
restaurant up on Meridian Street is a diehard Mariners fan. And last <laughs> last night at 1 a.m. sent me a text. This is a total gut punch. I'm still on up off the floor. I, I don't think it's a gut punch. I'd go lower on the body, Joe. <laughs> up 7-3 in the eighth. Bregman, two-run homer. Up 7-5 in the bottom of the ninth. Two outs. And Jordan Alvarez with a shot to right field for the game-winning home run. Astros up. Now 1-0 NL games today. So that'll be Phillies and Braves, I think, just after 4.30. And then Padres, Dodgers. Darvish versus Kershaw tonight, just after 8.30. Jake, the Colts back to practice today. Again, the injury report, Ashton Doolin goes on injured reserve yesterday. Um, So that means he's out at least four games. You're monitoring Jonathan Taylor's ankle, Naeem Hines' concussion, Ryan Kelly hip, Shaq Leonard nose back concussion, uh, Tyquan Lewis concussion, Julian Blackman ankle. Um, I would think a good amount of them will play on Sunday, but again, we're still in the early stages of kind of monitoring a pretty long injury list for the Colts. And then the offensive line, who will start there? Based off Marcus Brady's comments yesterday, it sounds like the rookie Bernard Ryman will get another chance at left tackle. I mean, that was a tough matchup for him all game. You know, that's a very good defense, very good pass rush. Um, And he was thrown in the fire, but I I thought he battled and competed. And you saw some good things there that he could build off. Um, Did he get beat? Yes. Um, But um, we kind of knew that was going to be an issue. We try to, you know, if we, when we can try to help him um, when we could. Um, But he's only going to get better. We, you know, we like where he's at. Um, We we think that he's going to continue to grow just with more reps here. I'm Bernard Ryman. And I'll be back. <laughs> well, he's going to play that audio on the Jumbotron when he runs out on Sunday. We've got some audio. I'd love to hear at Lucas Oil Stadium that they don't play. Like, well, Stephon Gilmore gets an interception. Yes. I would like to hear Jim Mercy's voice. This one for Mr. Gilmore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they'd be doing that, right? I know. I would love to hear it. That would pep up the uh, that be pep up the in-game uh, excitement. I, I think thought. I could complete a forty-yard dash by the time Jim Mercy says Gilmore. I'd like to know this. I'd like to know if there's anybody because what I'd like to think is that we're you know setting policy, right? Uh, I'd like to to know if anybody watching the Colts game when Stephon Gilmore got that interception, is there anybody that was watching that thought of our program and that audio? Oh, I got I got my tweets. mentions yeah. would say yeah. exactly that. Really? Yeah, yep. I got I got tweets certainly. This one for Mr. Gilmore. People said, I want to hear that a thousand times on Monday's show. And you spell it with what, six I's and seven L's? Yeah. <laughs> and then Alec Pierce, if he gets a big play, is there anybody that instantly thinks to themselves, here is a guy that was a rookie out of Cincinnati that helped get them to the playoff in college football that was a fringe first round, second round pick that the Colts got with high expectation and now he is emerging and are there people that that wonder whether or not in that moment there's audio of the owner saying his name correct. Poor, poor Alex Kevin if you've got problems with your nip, uh, your, your, uh, okay, okay, really, not your nips, that's for sure. Colts and Jags, one <laughs> o'clock kick. Had to can balance we, it out a little yeah, bit. Can, can we get rid of that, please? On Sunday, <laughs> currently favored by two over Doug Peterson, the Jags. As I noted earlier, this series has been whoever's playing at home. Ten straight wins for the home team in this series. Ten straight. Ten straight. Frank Reich has never lost at home to the Jags. Pop quiz time here on Kevin and Query. It is a heavy baseball pop quiz. Do I see hockey to start things off, though? Oh boy. 
I guess it was opening night last night, wasn't it? <laughs> the NHL does such a great job promoting it. Yeah, exactly. By the way, was last night the first playoff game or the first full game that Costas has done in 22 years? Somebody said that it was the first playoff game. I thought I read that. I was going to say, I first... feel like I've heard him do a baseball game. Okay. I would not know my, that. My apologies. I love Costas as an interviewer and not afraid to take on very aggressive topics, and that's awesome. But I, I did not love him on there last night. Yeah, it was a little, it was just a little much. It was just kind of like. One of my favorite tweets of all was going on was, holy blank, Bob Castus. I feel like I'm listening to a Ken Burns documentary called The Bleepin' Game. I don't care about Aaron Boone's family tree and the 1948 Cleveland Indians. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's an element of truth to that. All right, give us a call. Pop quiz 317-239-1070. Time for the pop quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. It's kind of random, but I meant to ask you, uh, no Dalton Kellett with A.J. Foyt next year for IndyCar? Yeah, I think Dalton is out, and... Santino Ferrucci, your man. Well, yeah, we talked about that last week. So he's in that car. I didn't know if Foyt was adding a car or if that was somebody else. Uh, actually, I take that back. Ferrucci will be in the 14. Um, Kellett has not yet been confirmed, I don't believe, in the four. I thought he announced yesterday he was done. That that maybe if he did, I missed that, but that would be that would be in alignment with what is anticipated. Let's put it that way. Um, all right, it's time for the pop quiz, 317-239-1070. Some hockey flavor to begin, and then a good amount of baseball the rest of the way. Jake, number one through eight. Um, We'll go with, you know what, since you mentioned Don Kell, let's go with four. Four. Ryan. Ryan, what's up? Let's do it. Ryan, I was with my brother Ryan last night. Ryan, we've never had five for five twice in a week in the pop quiz. Um, can you handle that pressure? We're sure going to give it a good old college try. Uh, where did you go to college, Ryan? I went way too long at Anderson University. Okay, there was we go. You? Smith Hall? Were you in Smith Hall? I was not cool enough to be in Smith Hall. That's where I stayed for a few years, Colts training camp. Gotcha. When you were sitting around the dorms at Anderson University telling tales of high school, you were talking about your great time at what school? Adam Central. Boy. Hmm. So, and you're the first person I've met from Adam Central. I was going to say, man, impressive. And, and you're in what line of work now? I'm a driver for UPS. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Um, Why do I feel like Adam Central football team got on a run recently? Am I imagining things? No, they're undefeated. Okay. Uh, What class would that be? Single A. Sectional draw, by the way, was this past Saturday. Regular season finale, high school football, coming up this Friday night. You know, Adams has two A's in it, but it's a single A school. (laughs) Ryan, I appreciate you calling. Um, We'll begin with number one here. The NHL regular season got underway last night. The defending Stanley Cup champion... Is who? The Canadians, the Lightning, the Avalanche, or the Bruins? Lightning. Good start. Uh, Question number two. Jordan Alvarez hit a walk-off three-run homer with two outs in the ninth to give the Astros their 8-7 win over Seattle last night. It's just the second time in MLB postseason history that a trailing team down to its final out hit a walk-off homer. What player did it the first time? Fairly famous play. I don't believe what I just saw. Bill Mazeroski, David Ortiz, Scott Pasednik, or Kirk Gibson? Gibson. 
All right, I think we keep the hints to the minimum now from here. We got to test Ryan. Yankees ace Garrett Cole is not allowed, or yeah, has not allowed a home run in his last seven postseason starts, tying the major league record. Which of the following pitchers is not tied with Cole with seven straight homerless starts in the playoffs? Sandy Koufax, Hugh Darvish, Randy Johnson, CeCe Sabathia. We're going to go Sabathia. I always thought CeCe Sabathia would be a great left tackle. Yeah, I could see that. Okay, Can question number call four. him? Is it too late? I, I was going to say, how does he look? <laughs> uh, the Chicago Cubs, 115 years ago today, won the first of their three World Series, winning the 1907 World Series. My question for you, Ryan, is what team did they beat? Was it the Boston Red Sox, Detroit Tigers, Philadelphia Athletics, or the Chicago White Sox? Philadelphia Athletics. All right, number five, Ryan, on this day in 1979, Larry Bird made his NBA debut as his Celtics beat the Rockets at Boston Garden. Also of note in that game, the first three-point basket in NBA history was made. Who made the first three-pointer in the NBA? Bird, Pete Maravich, Chris Ford, or Mike Dunleavy Sr.? Go with Dunleavy Sr. I feel like Mike Dunleavy Sr. coached 37 different places. Correct. Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning was indeed correct. They are the defending Stanley Cup champions, of course, and it was one of the more iconic moments in World Series history. Kirk Gibson in Game 1 off Dennis Eckersley in 1988. So Ryan off to a 2-for-2 two two start. That kind of surprises me. What's that? That it hasn't happened since? Right. I would agree. In the Or more, right? That's it. It's just those two. Gibson and Alvarez in Major League history? Isn't that what the question says? That is pretty amazing on the final out. Like, that is every single moment I have, like, childhood memories of. Bottom of the ninth, down by one, three-two count, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Sandy Koufax was the answer for question number three, not CC Sebastian. Detroit Tigers, Chris Ford. Rounding it out. Did you see that, that the Tigers and Cubs tied in a World Series game? It says Cubs won Series 4-0-1. What? So I looked it up because I'm like, what? That, that's weird. What and year was this? 1907. So the the Cubs were up 3-1, to and then the uh, Tigers came back and tied it in the bottom of the ninth. I'm sorry. The Tigers were up 3-1. to The Cubs tied it in the bottom of the ninth. Then they went into a uh, – they played three extra innings. And then the game was called on account of darkness and declared a tie. A World Series first. And That's I, the probably dumbest tie a world, in the history of A World sports. Series only. I can't imagine there's another tie out there. Will I'm, the Colts tie on. another game this season? I'm getting some uh, I'm getting some pushback here. Oh, boy. There's Scott, a shock. Scott, he's not here to defend himself. Yeah, I was going to say, when he said that answer, I'm like, I don't think that's correct. The Lightning are not the... St- the Tampa Bay Lightning are not the defending oh, Stanley right Cup here. champion, Andrew right? Andrew and, and Luke, they're saying the Avalanche. It's the Avalanche. Scotty. Scotty cannot take the heat, and very good fact-checking by Jake or I shows you our, and Mark our hockey knowledge. Well, I, you know what? The, the Lightning obviously had won, what, the previous two, right? And then last year, the Avalanche beat them. Didn't it go seven games and the Avalanche beat them? Because I remember I was saying, I was like, the Lightning are going to end up winning this whole thing. You could tell me the Hartford Whalers won it last year. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, good team. (laughs) Yep. 
Good second unit. Throwing this whole quiz out, I guess. Apologies on that, Ryan, but he still missed others, right? Well, I guess he missed number one anyways. Four games to two, yep. Scotty needs a timeout. Was that, I was That's, a pretty, was that time. That's a pretty egregious one. A little bit of Pacers news we'll round out the show with. I feel like we should... I mean, it, it, Ryan wasn't necessarily close, but I still feel bad that we had that many yeah. errant questions. Yeah, I think, honestly, we were the Colts offensive line with that pop quiz effort. doesn't help I opened it, like... 30 seconds before yeah, we started. Right. Didn't do much of a, a peer review there. Boy, you want to talk about getting exposed, our hockey knowledge. <laughs> Listen, S- Scotty is allowed a pass every once in a while. He had, uh, he's working long hours, had a long night, took the night off away from work, and it happens. All good. All good. All Appreciate good. Scotty's constant effort with that. We'll be back tomorrow again looking for a five for fiver. Already had one earlier in the week. We'll see if we get one to end it. Maybe that's how he does. It. He avoids getting five for fives. Is he? Asking, he gives incorrect <laughs> questions. Well, um, no th- two Pete here. <laughs> this from Adrian Wojnarowski. Uh, the Pacers picking up the third year team option on Chris Duarte's contract. This is second year for Chris Duarte coming up. So the third year would be at 2023-24 season. It's kind of wild, Jake. That you have to make a decision on that like a year into the guy's NBA career. Yeah. I always thought that was weird with the NBA. Like in the NFL, your rookie contract, if you're a first round pick, it's a four year deal automatic. And then you get a fifth year team option that the team option doesn't, doesn't have to decide on that until year four. Duarte was, I mean, that was a, that was a solid pick, man. And again, I don't, Solid pick. I think it was either him or Moses Moody. Moody has had some flashes with Golden State, but it was a nice single or double, and you really needed that. Yeah. At the time, the Pacers franchise were at. Um, I have. A, can I use this mic, everyone? I've done this a few times. I hope it's not out of line. I need public assistance here. Is that possible? Um, we'll tell you after you share it. Okay. I'm not going to say the names of – I don't want to get anybody in trouble here by any stretch because this is not a complaint at all. But I am getting I, – I have a 2018 Jeep, which I love. Grand Cherokee, I love it. It's great. Yeah, black, got some Clemson plates. Yeah, had absolutely love it. And I bought it from a local dealer. Um, whether I'm not going to say it was specifically a Jeep dealer because I don't want to, you know – and this is 100% on me, but I can't find the warranty. I bought like the the super extended like, you know, lifetime warranty of the car whatever. Glove I paid, compartment? I paid for the additional warranty. Well, I it's not in the glove compartment. I looked and it's not there. And I I I fear that when I cleaned out a bunch of stuff after my heart attack that I might have erroneously thrown it away. So I've called the dealer for 5 straight days telling them that I all I need is a copy of my warranty because I'm getting some work done on the car that is covered under the warranty. And I just need a a verification of the warranty, but I can't get anybody to call me back. Is there a place independently where you can go online and get proof of your warranty? Does anybody know? Uh, I think you stand in line for three and a half hours at the BMV. Maybe they can help you. But it's a but it's an extended that I purchased warranty, service warranty. Yeah, I was partly kidding with that. I, I, that's a good question. I, I would not know. I would not... Uh, is there a portal system for your car? I, I don't. I 
I called and told them that I simply want to buy another car and finance the whole thing, thinking they might call me I'm back. Sure, if you publicly shame them, they'll get right on it. I'm so not going to do that. To... I don't know if they advertise here. That, listen, I the, the car I, when I bought the car, they gave me a good deal on the car, and it's been a good car. So I don't want to. I don't want to call anybody out in that regard. I hope that the Chris Duarte thing, that toe injury is done. I feel like that became very nagging for him late last year. And I think if Duarte is your fifth guy, you know, that Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, obviously at some point Buddy Heald's gone, Benedict Matherin slides into the starting lineup. I think if Duarte is your fourth or fifth option, I still think you can be a pretty good basketball team. I mean, listen. God, how magical was that opening night last year for Duarte? That's right. He definitely hit a rookie wall, though. He did, and again, 82 games is quite the grind from, you know, whatever, 30-some he played at Oregon, but I do feel like he's a guy that it turned a little bit sour in how people viewed his rookie season. I thought that was a bit unfair. I mean, I have always said if Duarte is your number one or two guy, you're probably a 35-win team. If he is your three or four, you're really darn good. Yeah. And that's what they're trying to build towards is getting him to that, you know what I mean? Pacers preseason home opener is tonight over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Our coverage will begin on these airwaves at 6.30, and you can view it via Bally Sports. So um, tonight is the first preseason contest of the year that you've been able to view with Bally Sports, so that'll be the first time for the streamers, right? Bally Sports Plus, if you have That's that. Right. So I'm curious how that goes. I had issues last year with Bally Sports on linear cable at times. Really? Like just random kind of blackouts and audio issues, and so that needs to get cleaned up Did as you well. pay for the full warranty? <laughs> and if so, <laughs> do you know not. how you were supposed <laughs> to find it? Let me check with Chris Denary on that, <laughs> see if he can help me out on that front, but... I'm excited to watch the Pacers tonight. Pacers, Knicks, and then the uh, Rockets on Friday. I think that's a 7.30 tip on Friday. Here we go. Somebody said I could use the Uconnect app for my Jeep. All right. Thank you, Kurt. No, no, it's just 7 on Friday. For some reason, I thought it was 7.30. By the way, hello to Kurt. Uh, Kurt Fazekas, who is uh, one of the great sports car racers in the area, but lives in Indianapolis, listening to us, streaming our show while in Fort Myers, cleaning up. Uh, his home down there. Certainly hope the best for that. He's probably not alone in terms no. of Hoosiers affected down there. Yeah, thinking about a lot of people down in that area. I thought that was Kurt from Arkansas. Don't we have Kurt from Arkansas? We have a Kurt too? from Arkansas as well. We have Kurt's all over the place. You know? Neither of them are very Kurt individuals. Very nice guys. Colts back to practice today. Again, it's, I would say, the Wednesday that has the most injury attention of the year going into it. Nothing, I think, too, too serious on that front, but considering what you have on Sunday with Jacksonville at Tennessee next Sunday, the Titans have a bye this week. If any of these guys are going to miss one or two games, it comes at a very, very critical time in the season. If anyone missed it yesterday, the Joe Madden podcast is up. That would be Kevin and Query. Appreciate him for his time yesterday with us. And again, the Pacers tonight at 7 o'clock. Thank you to Stephen Holder. Thank you to Jeremiah Johnson. Mark Dykton will have the podcast up here in a bit. Everybody have a great Wednesday. Enjoy the nice temps, and we'll talk to you tomorrow right here on 93.5, 107.5, The Fan.